Cinemodities, late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, normal, or off kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel, but sometimes they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I'm going to stuff you in the blender, push puree, then bake you into a pie, and feed it to the social worker. Zach, at the start of this episode, I have a question for you. I have a question that um, uh, this movie posed um, in, a, in a visual sense. To, to, it poses it to the audience, but when I rewatched it, Lilo and Stitch, for this recording, um, I had forgotten about it. Uh, it posed it to me, and I was able to answer this question. I think it's a question you can only answer for yourself, but it's a very important question. Zach, oyster farming. Is it for you? Oh God, what is this a reference to? I feel like I feel like there must be like a little like gag board like on the side of like a bus shelter that has this no, or something. A, I missed a, it. There's a point when Lilo's asleep and Stitch is like going through her her books in her room. It's right before he pulls out the Ugly Duckling book, and one of the books he pulls out of her shelf is titled Oyster Farming. Is it for you? <laughs> and that that just struck a chord with me. <laughs> There's a lot of like, any sort of Disney movie. There's a lot of sight gags, like subliminal level, somewhat subliminal, because like you can see it if you want to look for it. But yes, yes. So maybe Zach, we'll come back to that because I, I mean, it it did. T- I watched this two nights ago. It's it's taken me basically a day and a half to come to an answer for me. Oyster farming is it for me? Um, and everybody, my answer is overwhelmingly yes. I'm going to become an oyster farmer. So Zach, you think on that. I have another question. Another question that really is oh, not dear. answered by this movie. Um, but it does pose, and something I had completely forgotten because I've seen this movie a bunch, and I'm sure we'll get into context, but I hadn't seen it in a while. I I have a question for you, Zach. Um, does does Ohana mean family? Uh, no, that I think the movie answers very clearly. <laughs> <laughs> um, does Lilo have a fat fetish? <laughs> okay, we'll get into that. We will get into that okay, because okay. I did a lot of like analytical research on this film, and... The, the only conclusion I could come to is nobody understands what this movie's about. Maybe not even me. <laughs> so I, I don't know because, like, the big thing with, like, all the pictures of, like, the – oh, God, bathing suit tourist in yes. her bedroom, like the collage, everybody on the internet has a different theory about it. Okay. And all of them are based on – and it's going to come to, again, a fantastic just a philosophical question – can a theme of a movie be extracted if said scenes that the theory is rooted in have been excised from the final product? Mm, that's a good. That's a good question. That's a good question. Um, I do want to point out that in that shot of the pictures of all the tourists, they are all obese, and one person is so obese that Lilo had to take multiple pictures and collage them together. <laughs> um, and and when it cuts to those pictures on the wall, you hear Lilo's voiceover go, "Aren't they beautiful?" And I'm like, is this going to come back up later? No, it never does. It never does. Um, well, we've danced around it enough. We didn't really do an overture there. We might have done an underture. Um, we are talking about 2002's Lilo and Stitch as we continue this 2002 Fort Month. Um, I, when Zach, when you put this on the schedule, I was so delighted because I not only do I... Uh, have a lot of fond memories from my childhood of this movie. I have fond memories from the Kingdom Hearts games of not only Stitch being a summon, but actually playing through the uh, Federation Starship Turo, I believe it's called, in Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep. I'm sure we'll get into that. And I was just overjoyed. I got to watch this movie again. It's been so long, like I said, since I've seen it. I had such fun watching it. I do enjoy this movie thoroughly. Um, there's a lot of funny stuff in it that I'm sure we'll get into. And, you know, overall, I was just like, man, I'm so excited to get to talk about it. And as I'm watching the movie, I'm like, oh, I'm so 
glad P- Zach picked this one. Man, we're, I'm, I'm sure he saw this in theaters too, because I did. I'm sure, like I said, we'll get into context. And then I realized why you picked this movie for us to talk about, Zach. <laughs> the ending credits started. We're, oh, let's do, let's go backwards in this episode. How are we going to end this episode? I would like to play the opening credits theme in reverse, but I'm assuming I'm going to get completely overruled by oh, Zach. 100, uh, there's 100% wrong, <laughs> because I want it noted. Like, we'll get into context, but I, I, it's embarrassing how many hours of podcasts, YouTube videos, and to a lesser extent, like, articles I read, because nobody, nobody over the age of 45 writes articles anymore. <laughs> sure. Um, if, you have, if you have an iPhone, why do you have to learn how to write? Like, that's what Grandpa did back in the <laughs> 1980s. Um they're like the 18s can't help falling in love with you cover of Elvis is a facet of this film that is never touched upon. And out of like the dozen plus things of just, again, analysis recaps, only one, one did a brief mention of the 18 song. And I'm just like, like I'm expecting that we talked about it. What? Three years ago during the eight or God, maybe even longer than that. Three sure. years of like the 18th thing where it's like not that they're the butt of a joke, but it's kind of one of those things where like they're a BuzzFeed like bullet point. Yeah. Yeah. They don't even get that anymore. Like that's where the 18s are now in the culture. Like they're not even like a like they're like one of those things like, oh, two that like if you like find like a YouTube like 30 minute long video where someone did a compilation of like 2000s like hit pop music mm-hmm. they're a 15 second clip like sure. that is the extent of their uh place in the culture um 20 years later and, and like i'm shocked so like i'm so glad you did this because i again there's so many things i want to talk about with this movie but the 18s can't help falling in love with you oh my god like i guess it's a good way to segue <laughs> into context for this so uh it's it's spring of 2002 um to answer Rob's question, I did not see this in theaters. Oh, okay. And, and I think I think he'll know why I didn't see this in theaters because uh, as someone who grew up with me, Rob knows I have a weird sort of fanaticism with movies when they're coming out. Like there's like I, I have like every three to four months or some movie I'm obsessed about and then like I move on to the next one. But as we all know, the one that kind of uh, eats everything up, a uh, black hole, if you will, is Star Wars. Yes. So when this came out, like in like a month after Attack of the Clones, I was still in Star Wars mode, where it was just like, no, like I, like we kind of touched upon it in our Spider-Man discussion with Sam Raimi, but it was like, no, Star Wars is the priority. Nothing goes near Star Wars. Like if I'm going to a movie, like how can I go see another movie in theater if it's not Star Wars? Um, so I didn't see this until DVD. Okay, okay. But I was aware of it like a month before release because guess what? Being the uh, Disney whore that I was and still am to this day, guess what they played ad nauseum on the Disney Channel? The 18s like Lilo and Stitch like quasi music video with puppies. Remember that, Rob? Puppies because – I I don't really what? remember that one but – because I remember the other commercials where they inserted Stitch into the Disney things. Well, that's that that's the that's the trailers and like marketing. Yeah, that's yeah, very yeah. much its own like separate beast. Like that sure. was something you had to like go like if you saw. I'm trying to think what was like a Disney movie from like early 2002. Um, if you would have seen a kids movie in early two, like Ice Age, if you would have seen yeah. Ice Age in theaters, you would have seen the, one of those trailers with like like Stitch in the spaceship with uh, Aladdin and Jasmine. Or the Beauty and the Beast one with the chandelier crashing yeah, down. I remember or the, the Pride one Rock. Yeah, Pride Rock one where Stitch replaces Simba. That's the one I remember the most. Yep. That, but that was your theatrical marketing. Where it was not today, where everything's just like basically sure. we just 
everything blends together with marketing. Everything is 10 seconds long because everybody has ADD, including the adults. <laughs> um, the kids and the adults are both on Ritalin now. And it's that notion of the 18th song. So like is me being 18th deprived of new music for over a year now. I was just like, wait, what? And I remember the – because at this point, like they had their – third u.s album come out i want to say in june of 2002 but the lilo and stitch album i think came out like in may mm. and i remember i i begged my mom to buy me that cd and she refused she's like we're not buying a cd for one song no and i'm like <laughs> mm, like we drone orlando over them and like no so like i like I, that was one of those things where like if it was ever on disney channel i either like lost my mind every time they played the music video or like I probably tried very hard to record it and just never succeeded because I really don't have a lot of fond memories like back in the day of that like Lilo and Stitch clip inserted music video with puppies for some okay. peculiar reason. Um, but no, like that was how like that was like if you would have asked me 20 years ago, what do you think of Lilo and Stitch? I would have been like the 18s like song movie <laughs> and that was it. And then so like I – I, all I remember from Lilo and Stitch pretty much that summer was I think I got a Happy Meal and it had a Pleakley toy in it. So okay. I had like no context. I'm like, who the hell is this? Like this is – you knew who Stitch was. Just if you were a kid in 2002, yeah. you knew who Stitch was even if you didn't see the movie. And then like I got the DVD for Christmas and I can still remember watching it for the first time like after Christmas. And it was like I, I like anybody. I loved it. Like this is cool. Like it's, it's a cute movie. Um, it's not obnoxious considering that Stitch is made to be obnoxious. He's not really a obnoxious character, and the movie is probably the oh god least obnoxious movie Disney has made. Um, like it's very oh heartfelt, genuine. It it's kind of everything you could possibly ask for from children's entertainment. Like oh, it, yeah. it it checks the boxes in a way that I think set like I said things like Snow White, Lion King, Cinderella, and also it's not dry. Like, a lot of Disney animated films are dry. We talked about it, like, Atlantis. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, we'll, del- we'll delve into other Disney animated movies, either, like, later when it comes to, like, 2003, 2004. Um, a lot of Disney movies are dry. And this is – there's never a dull moment in this. I have to completely agree. Um, so, okay, I, I, I should have um, thought of the uh, Star Wars thing, Zach, that you brought up because, um, of course, you and I have already discussed Attack of the Clones. Yes, we have, and, very um, thoroughly, and you with went, Chris Porteous. Uh, yes, and you, uh, you spent a very long time discussing – you and Chris probably spent a very uh, – no, did, sorry – spent a very long time talking <laughs> about um, your love for that movie in the summer, uh, which I also saw in theaters. Um, but I, I remember – I actually vividly remember wanting to see this movie in theaters. I remember the the marketing, even though I don't remember the um the eighteens commercial or, or music video that you mentioned. I'm sure it worked on me. I, you can I, say commercial, Rob. It, it is a commercial. Okay, okay. Like that is a factually correct statement. Sure, sure. I'm, it all all the marketing worked on me. I remember back in 2002, I wanted to see this movie, and I really wanted to. And it was it was summer, of course. And I even remember it happening. Like for some reason, I have the memory that you know there was some summer day. I think it was a weekday. That for some reason, unknown reason, no special reason, my mom was just like, you know, yeah, let's let's go see Lilo and Stitch, you know, because of course my mom was a, a high school teacher and so she didn't have to work during that summer or, you know, didn't have to, you know, regularly work during that summer. And I was just like, oh my God, we're going to see Lilo and Stitch. And I loved it. And of course it was at the Galleria well before Zach got there. Um, I, I remember those commercials that I mentioned. I, I loved this movie. I'm sure I saw it a bunch. I'm sure I saw the sequel. I remember seeing the TV show. 
I eventually, you know, revisited this movie, you know, many like years later, like when I was a kid, um, you know, still in like middle school, uh, high school, that type of thing. I rewatched it maybe once in college, kind of forgot about it, revisited it during the Kingdom Hearts era, of course. And I'm so glad I got to rewatch it again because I think you hit the nail on the head, Zach. There's not a dull moment in this movie. Sure, there's some, you know, they're hitting the formula of, like, you know, the second act downturn when everything's going wrong and, you know, the montage of, like, Nani trying to get a job and stuff like that. And I'm, it's kind of not really spinning its wheels, but it's going through the motions of what these kids' movies have to do. But I can't, like, fault it for that because, you know, it is a, a kids' movie. And the thing that I kind of took away the most from this is that it's not it's it's something for adults but it's not relying on those like cheeky one-liners of like huh only the adults will get this one i think there's a lot of adult themes in this movie that work for both you know kids like young adults and grown-ups type of thing and i overall i mean i i thoroughly like i said i thoroughly enjoyed this movie i I might as even go as far to say that i love it Oh, absolutely. Because that's the thing, too, is that like, I think you made a good point that like it's not pandering. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. This is a movie that's not pandering to anybody. And then even some of the behind the scenes things I did, like apparently they started developing this film like in 1999, mm-hmm. um, which is weird because it conflicts with a lot of information saying that like, oh, this film is also one of the least expensive Disney films of the uh, early 2000s era because like, oh, after the bomb of uh, Atlantis and Dinosaur – and I'm like, if they were developing this in, like, 1999, like, they didn't know dinosaur yeah. plants were going to be bombs unless they already kind of, like, read the tea leaves that far out. Um, and so what happened was when they were developing this, they wanted to do something very stripped down. Like, they spent a lot of time just, like, the two – the co-directors on this apparently just, like, would sit there at night, like, get a pizza and, like, a six-pack and just brainstorm. Mm-hmm. What was it they – what story did they want to tell? As we all know, the modern-day Disney Corporation doesn't do that. It's market research in, like, a sterile white room with, like, a two-way window. Right. That, <laughs> that's how we brainstorm movies nowadays. Like, it's not one person or two people with an idea. It's what does the market research tell us people enjoy at the moment? Yeah, and, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because I found that as well. I found, like, a bunch of information about how it was like, oh, Disney wanted to, uh, you know – go away from these high-budget, expensive movies and wanted to make something, you know, that was a little bit cheaper or a lot cheaper in some instances that I read, you know, hearkening back to, like, th- I think they mentioned, like, Dumbo. Like, Dumbo was cheap relative yes, to, you know, yep. some of the the other, you know, 40s and 50s Disney animated projects. I mean, they wanted to uh, get back to that sense. And I'm like, okay, you know, you look at the budget for this movie. It's, like, what, stated between, like, 75 to 80 million or something like that. And I'm like, okay, you know, that's I, I guess that might be cheap for Disney. But then you read things about how it's, like, Oh, you know, they like Chris Sanders, one of the directors and the voice of Stitch is like they they didn't want to use traditional Disney anime animation style. They wanted it to model be modeled more after his animation style. So they had to train a lot of animators to get used to that. And then they didn't want to go with the the common cheap gouache painting, uh, opaque body colors and stuff like that. They had to train animators to use watercolors instead. And I'm like, that doesn't sound cheaper. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I it was it was conflicting. I found that as well. And I, I was, you know, confused about some of that. <laughs> Well, that's the thing I I find fascinating is that like I think they were just using techniques that were again like the watercolor backgrounds. I think they were 
just because it took more time to train people, I, I think it's also least uh, less labor intensive and cost. Okay, sure, sure. And that's what my, again, like I said, somebody who's not an animator has only a rudimentary knowledge of all this. That's probably what it was. And also, this was um one of the very few Disney animated films that was animated in the Orlando branch. Yes. yes. So if you were somebody like on the uh, backstage tour in the '90s and early 2000s, there's a chance you have seen some of this being made in real time. And plus, I know things were cheaper just to get done down there in general. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the thing was that like when they went into this, they wanted something that was stripped down and it's, that's where like, again, like I, I want to talk about the film itself, but just the cultural footprint of this film. This is why I want to ask you, Rob, mm-hmm. um, what is the cultural footprint of this film other than stitch plush cells? <laughs> That that's a good question. Um, the the first lens that I I know it through um, is of course Kingdom Hearts, and and I bring that up not only because you know I love Kingdom Hearts, which is no surprise to the cinema audience or Zach, of course, um, but I remember that you know back in um, it's Kingdom Hearts two where Stitch first appears as a summon. So Kingdom Hearts two is like what when we're in eighth grade, so not like too far removed from Lilo and Stitch, the actual movie, but like when Birth by Sleep comes out, which I think is two thousand ten. Um, the PSP version, the original version, it was one of those things where, you know, it was revealed that in when you're playing through um, Birth by Sleep, which is a, a prequel, one of the earliest in the chronology of Kingdom Hearts, you're playing through, like, the worlds of the original princesses, or, or the seven princes of hearts, so you have, like, your, um, you know, Sleeping Beauty world, you have your... Um, uh, like all those original ones, I'm blanking on some of them, like the original Peter Pan visit, stuff like that. But they, they revealed that you were going to get to go to a, a Stitch world. And they specifically said Stitch world, not Lilo and Stitch. And I should say, you know, Lilo and Hawaii and Nani and any of like the Earth characters are not in the Kingdom Hearts games. Like you said, you play through the, the, the Turo, Grand Turo, whatever that ship's called. And I remember when that got announced... People were like, oh my god, that's so cool. You know, in 2010, only eight years removed from Lilo and Stitch, it was like, wow, that's awesome, we can't wait to play through that. Contrast that to a more recent example, is when Kingdom Hearts 3 was announced, they were like, we're gonna have a big Hero 6 world. And of course, a lot of people are like, you know, a a very small portion of people like, big Hero 6, that's a great movie. But most fans were like, what the fuck? Like, who wants to play through that, you know? And so I think the the difference is it's like the cultural lasting legacy of Stitch is that people actually have fond memories of it. And it, maybe it's a sense of nostalgia, but at least it's a lasting nostalgia. Where I think for Big Hero 6, which of course is more modern, but maybe the same time frame as Stitch is to Birth by Sleep as Big Hero 6 <laughs> is to Kingdom Hearts 3, where people were just like, oh, okay, I guess, you know? Um, I also kind of think not only is it... um. To, to get away from Kingdom Hearts, because that's one, one of the lens, lenses I know it through. Also, like you said, is it just Stitch plushes sell? I think they do still sell, but I kind of feel that there is a, maybe not massive, but you can find people online who, well, there's, there's two things. One, you're going to be okay with. One, I'm sure you're aware of, but you're not going to be happy that I have to bring it up, but it has to be brought up. One is that I think there's a bunch of people that still say, like, oh, of the Disney characters... You have people saying, like, Stitch is my spirit animal, or I've even seen in a few places, like, Stitch is my favorite Disney princess. And, of course, there's no reason to think Stitch is a Disney princess, but people like to be, you know, funny in that way. And I think, you know, Stitch is a, as a crazy, you know, off-the-wall, uh, offensive, destructive, maybe is a better word for it, um, obnoxious character who doesn't really come across as obnoxious, like you said. That sticks with people. And the other thing that I hear a lot more, Zach, is I have heard the phrase... Why does Nani have to be so dummy thick? 
so many fucking times in my lifetime. People love the, the the design of Nani, I would say. And I also was very aware for a very long time of the blonde lifeguard she talks to in this movie because people cannot stop drawing porno- pornographic images of that lifeguard on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this took a turn that I didn't really expect. Those so, are my uh, three answers, Zach. Other than Stitch plushes sell, Stitch has lasting legacy, Kingdom Hearts fans love Stitch, and these characters turn people on. <laughs> Oh, jeez. Oh, God. Because, um, okay, the reason why I ask this question is, and I, and why I ask this, I'm not taking into consideration, like, the TV series, the sure. two or three directed DVD, like, films. Stitch has a glitch. Uh, <laughs> yep, yep. Leroy and Stitch. Uh, Lilo and Stitch 2. And the uh, anime. And I think there's also, I did some, I, I couldn't delve too deep into this, but apparently there's, like, a Chinese series, too. Like, Ooh. I... Yeah, the anime is kind of interesting. Like, I, I kind of read into that because, like, in every single like video I was watching or podcast, like, yeah, there's an anime. I'm like, what is this? Everyone keeps referencing it, but nobody's really delving into it. And then I found out that the plot of the anime is is that like it begins with like, oh, uh, supposedly, I guess I didn't watch this. This kind of just like reading stuff. It's like, oh, Lilo. It's like older. Like Lilo, like gets a boyfriend and kind of just not abandoned Stitch, but just kind of like. Whatever it was, like, like, Stitch drifts away. Sure, sure. And so, like, he goes to some, I want to say, Japanese island, and he obviously meets another, like, young girl, and they, again, like, rinse, lather, repeat. Yeah, yeah. So, like, apparently, I don't know if it's, like, the series finale of the anime, or it's just, like, like, like I don't know, but apparently something happens where, like, Stitch is, like, at the airport and sees Lilo, and, like, it's, like, oh, like... Like, they have the entire day's worth of, like, what's the word, um, coming together. They go on another adventure. Okay. And then the episode ends with, in, like, like an older version, like, not older version, but just, like, this older woman that kind of looks like Leo says, come on, whoever your name is, uh, it's time to go. And it dawns on Stitch, this is Lilo's daughter. And Lilo has grown, grown up now. Okay. And I'm like... There, there goes your your goddamn like sequel Disney. Like there, there you <laughs> yep. go. There's your freaking heartfelt like like tug the notion of like and like it comes out obviously with like grown up Lilo that like it was a misunderstanding. Like she never meant to abandon Stitch. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, like it's sure. like there you go. Like instead of having like like Stitch's parents run over by a car or something or eaten by a barracuda, <laughs> like there's your. It's like God Disney, just try. Please try for once and not just po- pick the lowest of low-hanging fruit. Right. I was like reading this. And I'm like, like, there's your angle. Um, we'll definitely get into the uh, live-action Lilo and Stitch, which is inevitably coming. Much like the the iceberg that the Titanic has to hit. Like yes. live-action oh, yeah, Lilo and Stitch is coming. Of course. It even Compelling has a section on the Wikipedia page. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I am assuming – I mean, Zach, you you are probably in agreement with this. We, we can safely assume right now that uh, – live action stitch will be played by jacob tremblay right there's no other choice I think. <laughs> in a, I think in a weird patchwork like fursuit type of thing or 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 james corden in a giant fur patch suit <laughs> that <the, laughs> it's our insider in the cinema is insider information um it's we know we know it's down to the wire between those two <laughs> Oh, God. Um, but, yeah, so, like, I was trying to figure out what the lasting legacy of the show was. And every – for the most part, I'd say 80% of the things that I was looking into positioned this film, Lilo and Stitch, as an underrated gem. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, is that the case? Because, like, my understanding of Lilo and Stitch was, like, outside of, like, The Lion King, Aladdin, 
maybe Hercules and Mulan. That like this is like for like millennial generation and like oh god like and, and higher whatever that means Gen Z. This is the pinnacle of Disney animation. Yeah, I don't think this is underrated at all. I think it's well loved. I mean, I think it's That's... also very well remembered. I mean, other other um, t- speaking of the internet, you know, the fingerprint this movie has put on the internet, other than the um, you know, the the uh, the horny people on the internet. Yeah. Oh yes. Um, there I've seen it many many times. It's not a very common one, but it's a. I think it's in the lexicon of of memory the um the scene in this movie where lilo you know prays and says like send me an angel like send me the the best one you have and it cuts to stitch coming out of the asteroid or the um crater going like cackling like that that gets used quite a bit for many different things you know i've seen that on the internet so i i don't think this is you know underrated at all i think this is if anything you know people loved it like and rightfully so, in my opinion. And then as time has gone on, maybe if they haven't seen it in a while, it's only grown in respect over uh, like for the masses. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing I kind of couldn't wrap my head around is like the idea of Lilo and Stitch being seen as the underappreciated yeah. gem. And I'm like, like, and and one of the things that I was reading was like, this is like until what Frozen was like the most ubiquitous like disney animated film of the 2000s sure sure and that's where like i just can't like like it's weird how like disney like yes they are gonna do a live action of this i think they said for disney plus i at this point anyone's guess um i think this has the potential to be live action like as in like for a theatrical experience i think there's enough meat on the bones for this still um but as i was looking into this like i just like i i don't know how this is like again so that's where I was trying to come at this film because I really don't know how to give a novel perspective on it. Mm-hmm. My probably the thing that I found the most fascinating about this movie is at least half of all the again essays, recollections, retrospectives all go back to the point that Rob brought up the fact that like oh Lilo takes pictures of all of these like <laughs> oh god obese Taurus yeah and and her fascination with that and things of of that ilk. And they go, oh, well, there's this excise plot from the film, and, and I think it's done like in uh, animatics, where it's like like somebody like in a car showing up, and it's supposed to be like an ugly American being like, yo, local, where's the beach, y'all? Mm-hmm. And like obviously like Lilo points like in any direction because like it's Hawaii, the beach is everywhere. And then like another one's like her going to like the beach where you have all these fat white tourists, and she's like, you see the tsunami alarm? Yeah. If that goes off, you're all going to die. I, I watched it, that one, that um that siren scene, and at the start of that scene, when she gets to the beach and she starts screaming, like, and to get the attention of the tourists, it does cut to one of the tourists, and they say, oh look, a real local or a real mm-hmm. native or something like that. Yeah, and so like a lot of what I was seeing was people being like, oh, this movie is a. Uh, Oh god, a perspective on how uh, again how all white people are evil, like one of those, like a- anything that happens nowadays, white people are evil. It's gotta be. And it's like it's gotta be exactly. Woke, you know? The it's movie like can't this... be about you know how different people funnel grief in different ways. No, it can't no, be about no, that. No, it no, has no, no. to it's be about, about that. It's, racism. It's not about that. That's the thing is that like you have these like colonial like things coming in trying to dismantle the whole, the true Hawaiian family, and I'm looking and their entire thesis for this are these two deleted scenes. Yeah. And I'm just like, 
how can you extrapolate a movie's thematic backbone to something that's not in the film? Exactly. I'm like, I'm like, can you do that? Like, it's like, I, it can be a component of your argument, but you can't say this is what the film is about. And then, because it's like, oh, she takes pictures of all of these obese white tourists because she's trying to reflect her anger and angst and animosity toward them, a back upunks the white man by doing it to them. And I'm just like, like I'm like, like no, I'm like she's doing this because she's like like a peculiar child yes. who who finds beauty in things that most people find disgusting. Yeah, and I'm like, and it's like no, and then he, and I'm just like, oh god, then like I even found one take where it was like, oh, she takes pictures of all of these like things like these fat tourists because the last thing that meant any value to her was the picture of her parents. So she's trying to capture everything that finds amusement. Like, like there's a, like that's the one thing I kind of think is so phenomenal about this film is that there's so many takes on it means just there's so much to latch onto. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And that's, and that's the true mark of great art. The fact that like, there's not just this one consensus on why this thing is important. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I, I don't, like you said, they're basing this entire idea of this movie on these two deleted scenes, almost ignoring that, you know, there's another deleted scene of um, uh, Pudge the Fish dying, which is deeply oh, yeah. upsetting. If, if anybody has not seen it, it, it is very, very upsetting um, where, you know, Pudge the Fish dies because Stitch, like, knocks it onto the ground and then it gets attacked by seagulls. And Lilo's like, you don't hurt your friends, you don't hurt your family, you don't let them die. And then she buries it next to her parents' grave. And, like, Stitch realizes the consequences, uh, actions have consequences. They're ignoring that. They're ignoring the deleted scene where Nani, like, talks to Lilo about, like, the story of, like, it's a different version of the Ugly Duckling story about, like, a dog called Toaster or something, whatever the fuck it is. Um, I I think that, like I said, I, I take this movie, and one of the reasons I loved it even more, you know, watching it, you know, in, with this adult lens, I guess now, um, or a bigger kid version that I am, I don't know if I'm an adult, um, that... You know, it's about – I think it's about, like, the funneling of grief, like, the function of grief. Like, grief goes in and different people deal with it in different ways. And, you know, Nani can't, doesn't want to have a relationship with um, David because she has to take care of Lilo. Lilo's doing really weird, edgy shit, like um, putting forks in pickle jars and saying my friends need to be punished. Um, Stitch f- takes his grief, you know, not having a family and, and turns it into violence. And, I mean – and I think that the whole thing with – if you want to talk about, oh – oh, man, this movie's about racism and how, like, the white man coming to Hawaii is dismantling the, the concept of Ohana and stuff like that. It's like, well, no, I, I think that clearly fits into Lilo is just as interested in these outsiders as, like, Pleakley is interested in humans and as, like, Stitch is interested in learning about family and stuff like that. Like, it's all about how different perspectives come together and how we can use each other to better refine the function that our brain takes or does on grief and i'm like that is a more cohesive picture rather than just saying man these two things that aren't in the movie that's the key to this movie it's like what what are you talking about <laughs> oh yeah like i said again like there was no sh- i guess i had to turn a couple of them off just because it was like enough because they even like reference the scene where nani's fired from the restaurant job and it's like it's like she has to work at a place this this and that and i'm like she's fired by a native hawaiian man like like what <laughs> yeah. oppression is there like it's not like like stitch starts attacking a tourist I'm just like, I, again, can't wrap my head around it. 
And it's like, okay, that's, like, this is a good point. Stitch attacks Pleakley. He doesn't even attack a Taurus. <laughs> that's what I mean. Like, I would say, like, like outside of the pictures that Lilo takes, we don't see a lot of the evil white man. Exactly. Like, yeah. everybody that we see Nani even interact with, whether it be, uh, I forget her name, the one with the big, like, Coke bottle glasses. Oh, Myrtle. And yeah. Myrtle. Yeah. yeah. Even, like, um, in the hotel lobby, like, everybody by their skin tone is, is a native Hawaiian. I'm just like... I'm like, okay, like, if this is what you want to see from the movie, but, like, you are trying to take something from this that – and then even, too, like, if you want to even take it in that way, like, this movie was made by two white men. I'm yep. like, yep. if they were going for this, wouldn't this be cultural appropriation because they're not allowed <laughs> to discuss a plight that they can't relate to? Right. Like, so I'm like, you're enti- like, if you believe this, then it will fall apart on even a more fundamental level if you extrapolate it further. So I'm like, okay. Again, if you want to be unhappy, be unhappy. Just don't drag poorly Lone Stitch into it. Right, um, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but like, but getting back to the movie and just its cultural resonance, which if I you, find fascinating. If you want but, to think this movie is woke, it'd be like giving Pudge tuna. You'd be an abomination. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's the thing, I, and this is what goes back to the cultural resonance thing. And that, like, I I don't know because you look at how much money this movie made. Like, it made money. Um, sure. It it actually like if you look at other things, like it made 145 in the U.S. for for 2002 was very 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 good for a kids movie. Um, not Lion King levels, mm-hmm. but it was good. Um, but I wonder about how like a lot of this irreverent humor played before cynicism became a thing in children's entertainment that i'm like glad a you major that major element in children's entertainment. yeah because that's one of the things i really did not remember about this movie and maybe it's because you know i've been so I, i've kind of forgotten about the lilo and nani aspects not forgotten completely but you know with kingdom hearts stitch was more of the um like i said the thing in my front of my mind i forgot a lot about the um you know the whole the whole social first social worker scene with the um you know Lilo's locked in the house, and she's like, "Leave me alone to die." And the the pickle jar thing with my friends need to be punished, and the whole thing of like you know, she practical beats, vo- discipline, practical voodoo. practical voodoo disciplines me five times a day, sometimes with bricks in a pillowcase, you know. And I was like, "Oh my god, I forgot about a lot of this." Um, but I I was trying to remember, and I cannot remember what I thought of. That. I'm sure I found it funny, you know. I'm sure you know I. I wasn't like when 2002, what I was 10. No, I was nine when this came out um, because it was before Ben Affleck's birthday. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I don't remember. I'm sure I like liked it a little bit because, you know, I was that I was an edgy nine year old. I'm sure. Uh, and I but I was like trying to remember and I couldn't. But you're right. That's the other part of it is that this type of humor now seems so commonplace that it's like if you're making a kid's thing, you got to have some of that edginess, some of that darkness, because it's almost like what the name of the game is to like play towards the Internet, the culture of the Internet. Back in the day, I could not remember what I thought about it. And that oh God, I wish I could. <laughs> That's the thing. I, I think this is something that you would be hard pressed to find even in today's like okay what's the latest animated film the bad guys i think it's oh, it's a yeah. dreamworks movie where it's just like oh it's a bunch of animals but like they're like I, I hustlers and commit heist and it's like okay um and then like even like what uh the secret life of pets where you have chris was it uh chris hart as like a bunny mm-hmm. um that just screams like he does and that that's the joke whatever bunny screamed like chris hart does that's the joke. Yeah, yeah. Um, th- there isn't that. I don't even know if you want. Again, it, it's cynicism. It's irreverence. Um, and I, and then that's the thing. Like, and it's that sweet and sour level of combination with Disney because you do get that emotional schmaltz that that kind of permeates the entire film. Yeah. 
Um, but I think that's like an element that people really don't know what to make of it with this film. Like, I, I think to this day, people like this movie. They love this film. But I don't think they understand why they do and why mass audiences keep coming back to it. Sure, sure. And that's and, and that's where I think it's so interesting. It's like I think we oh, can, yeah. I think a lot of people I think there's a difference between pointing at something and then explaining why it resonates. Oh, absolutely. And I, I mean, I think uh, I, I mean, of course, there's a, definitely a huge nostalgia factor and um, and 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 things like that. But I mean, you know, I I I, I guess that's why I you know when I rewatched it, like I said earlier, and when we said earlier, that there's not a dry moment, that it is a very, you know, interesting movie. It's a very full movie. It doesn't feel like, you know, it's, it's stretched at any point. I, I don't know the people who, you know, still hold it, uh, the, the masses, I guess, the internet culture that still hold it in high regard. I wonder when the last time they saw it was, you know, or, or if it's just, you know, something that just gets uh, snowballed by, by the internet and talking about it and things like that. Yeah, because even like I'm looking at Roger Ebert's review right now, and I think uh, especially what movie we discussed the week prior, it's only a week ago I deplored the wretched Scooby-Doo as a blight on the nation's <laughs> theaters. My fellow critics agreed, checking the web, blah, 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 26 on Rotten Tomatoes, 27 on Metacritic, and a passing grade of 60. The American public effortlessly shrugged off this warning cry and raced to the box office to throw away $54 million. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> oh, Roger, you're, you're great. Yes. Um, but he even says, he goes, now here comes a truly inspired animated film, Lilo and Stitch. It's one of the most charming feature-length cartoons of recent years, funny, sassy, startling, original, and with six Elvis songs. It doesn't get sickeningly sweet at the end. It has as much stuff in it for grown-ups as for kids, and it has a bright, offbeat look to it, which is exactly – like again, that is the ultimate just, oh, God, condensement of everything mm-hmm. about this film. And but that's where again I'm just having a hard time wrapping my head around the notion that this is the underappreciated gem. Yeah. When yeah. there really isn't anything else. Like, and this is where I, a couple of times as I was watching this, I kept trying to compare it to Frozen. And Frozen being one of those like seismic cultural things that's just like it happens once every ten to fifteen years with movies where everybody has to talk about something. Sure. Everybody latches on to it though. But like if it weren't for the fact that Disney latched on to Frozen in a way it didn't do with Stitch, early loan Stitch, I don't know if we'd still talk about Frozen. Sure. Oh no, you're you're definitely right. Yeah. Um. You know, when bringing up Frozen, that that brings up a good point. I mean, um, Which was recently discussed on cinema. Yes. Yes. Either three months ago or three years ago. I have no idea. I've sent to time <laughs> anymore. Um. But no, you actually bring up a good point because one of the things I do hear about. Lilo and Stitch, or have heard, you know, throughout the years, throughout, you know, ever since it came out, I think. Also, you know, on the internet when people, you know, very, when a meme comes up or, you know, someone draws an, a sexually explicit picture of a character in this movie, um, that, that, you know, they say things like, one of the biggest elements, like we've been mentioning, these adult themes, not only the funneling of grief that I mentioned, but I think a big uh, point of this movie is the relationship that it's between two sisters, that it's not like a mother-daughter um, it is like two sisters, one older, one trying to take care of the other. They have such an a, an interesting dynamic. That's the same thing Frozen does. Frozen's two sisters. Maybe there's something about, you know, how the, like when they tell stories about sisters, it resonates with people for some way. And I, I also, 
I did see that in my research. I, I think this was one of the stupid IMDb trivia facts where it was like, this story focuses on two sisters. Usually, movies aren't about sisters. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's like, well, okay, you know, that, I guess that might be kind of, or Disney animated movies are not usually about sisters. I guess that's kind of true, but Frozen. So I think, you know, maybe there's some connection there. There's only two movies, so we can't really establish a pattern. But, you know, I think there might be something to that effect that, you know, this gets labeled as, you know, oh, it's such a good movie, it has this great theme, this great relationship at its core, and that people just latch on to that. Or maybe it's a talking point that people regurgitate, and that just kind of snowballed uh, throughout just all of history. Yeah, I, it would have to be, because again, even looking at the final uh, paragraph of this Roger Ebert review, it ends with, um, it's uh, the movie doesn't get all soppy at the end and surprisingly unsentimental for a Disney animated feature. It keeps its edge and its comic zest all the way through, and although it rides relatively unheralded, it is a jewel. Mm-hmm. Nice. nice. Did and he that's, give, did it, he give it three and a half out of four? Yeah. Mar- okay. Yeah, three and a half out of four stars. Um, but that's uh, but again because also while I was watching this, I couldn't help of thinking another Rob. What is the most popular animated film of the early two thousands? Uh, Shrek? Yes. <laughs> and so I was looking... Yeah, unfortunately. Um, and I kept thinking, I'm like, why on earth do we talk about Shrek still when there's this that exists? Right? I'm just like, what? there is no reason to talk about Shrek when this movie has just as much, if not more, to say and is just as irreverent and ironic. And I'm just like, I, I, especially the marketing, like clearly the marketing for this we touched upon earlier is, is is a shot across the bow of Shrek. Yep. Oh, the yeah. idea of pointing the finger at Disney being like, oh, but whereas as a culture, we somehow became beholden to the Shrek thing where it's like, oh, look how crazy these stories are. They're not good unless we point and laugh at them with you. Mm-hmm. The marketing for, for Lilo and Stitch did – the exact did a very similar thing in that like it took this very quirky offbeat non-typical disney character and put him in those situations isn't the, like, even to the point isn't there a lilo and stitch poster that i saw the the, the tagline yep. on the poster is like he's the black sheep of the fam oh i, I pulled it up there's one yep. in every family <laughs> yeah it has all like your legendary disney characters yeah. and they're kind of along the sides of it and stitches in the middle and it kind of tells you how just like it's so Oh God! It's again condensed marketing. It tells you everything you need to know in one image. Exactly. That this a isn't your typical Disney film, but he also is part of the family. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you brought up Shrek because I think if this podcast is about three things, it's Ben Affleck's birthday, how everything relates to 9/11, even movies before 9/11, <laughs> and how and why Shrek still exists in the culture. <laughs> Indeed. And you're absolutely but, right. I think, you know, I've posited, it's, it's the thing that I, we've said many times now, I firmly believe that we like, Shrek exists because we we all realize as a human species that Shrek is one of the worst things to ever exist, and we need to make fun of ourselves for it. And I think that's easier to do or more accepted in the culture than to accept something. We have to make, self-deprecation I think is easier than we all go, man, we like this thing. We all have to say, let's make fun of how stupid we are, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, that's – and I think that's where, again, comparing it to Shrek, we go to because, like, it's hard to think of Lilo and Stitch as something that was uh, relatively untouched by Disney commercialism mm-hmm. because – think about it. It got three direct-to-DVD uh, things. It had a theme park attraction. It had a TV show. And yet, like we said, like, think about it. There's, what, 
four Shrek movies, two spinoff movies, a, a Broadway show, a theme park. <laughs> I got like five or six theme park rides. Um, I think most of them are closed now. But it, it's that notion of like it was ubiquitous because DreamWorks just mined the ever-living daylights out of it. Where Disney pretty much kind of like left Stitch alone after 2006 because like that's when the TV show ended and they really didn't do anything with it. Yeah, like it, yeah. outside of selling plushes, it like even the – oh god, the Disney theme park attraction for Stitch, which is one of those things where uh, I kind of want to get into it. But like it's something that I've been – I want to do as an episode on the podcast forever, but I don't know how I could do it justice. <laughs> sure. It'd be up there with like Captain EO where like how do you do like a Cinematis thing on a theme park attraction? Yeah. yeah. Um, but it replaced one called – I think Rob's heard me mention this a bunch of times just based off the title. The Extra Terrestrial Alien Encounter, oh, which is yeah. one of the strangest like Disney attractions ever made. Um, that story is so fun. Just how, like, they originally wanted – Michael Eisner wanted to do an alien ride, and, like, the Disney people were like, like what? Like, you can't do that. <laughs> He's like, of course you can. Just put the alien in the ride. It'll be great. The kids will love it. And they're like, we, we, like, like it's a penis monster. We can't make – this isn't Disney. <laughs> and then uh, fast forward 40 years later, and Disney now owns the penis monster. Um, it, it's, it's one of those weird twists of fate. But um, they took this ride. that they It's never been clear as to why they closed it. And then a year later, they reskinned it as Stitch's Great Escape. Okay. It's essentially, it's just a more elaborate form of the, um, uh, the prelude to this where it's just – it's him escaping from the containment chamber. Um, doesn't follow the story events one to one though, but you get the gist of yeah. where I'm going with all this. And what happened was that like this ride like was like almost like universally hated because it was such a lazy reskin, even though they put they put they had this very elaborate stitch animatronic to this day. It's, like it's fun to watch it move in YouTube videos. Um, and then like it pretty much just this ride just disappeared. Like they they put it to seasonal status where like it would only open like on Christmas, New Year's, um, busy weekends. Mm-hmm. And then, like, like photos leaked online where they completely just dismantled the ride. And there's just really, if Rob Google's it, it's a really cool visual. He'll probably love it. It's um, it's the Stitch animatronic completely de-skinned. It's just like the metal like skeleton framework of it. Um, and that's kind of what happened to it. Like, you had a Stitch ride at Disney World, and it literally got skinned for parts after like 15 years. And I think that's kind of shit. This is metal. (laughs) (laughs) This is some. Oh my god, that is that is some fucking Henry Selleck type shit right there. Like (laughs) this is going to be in uh, Coraline too. She's going to encounter this thing. (laughs) It's it's a ghoulish image. Yeah. (laughs) Um. And and that's the thing. And I think that's kind of what's happened to like the Lilo and Stitch franchise. Like it's something that's been literally skinned for parts. Yes. And Disney, like, they probably don't, they probably to this day, 20 years later, don't understand what they have on their hands. I'm with you. Like most things Disney does. Yeah. Um, It's just like, can it sell plushes? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just sell the plushes then. Like even when I was at Disney World a couple months ago, like there were Stitch plushes, but like they also had the pink, the pink Stitch, Angel, um, who if you watch the cartoon, like it ends with like, him like going off to the beach with her like by himself and like it pretty much alludes to the fact that like Stitch is going the boink like pink Stitch <laughs> like it alludes to that like like not heavily but like yeah 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 Stitch is get busy with pink Stitch um I also think it's funny that Stitch essentially also uh, got a case of the not gays I find that funny there has to be a pink Stitch well, for course. him to love yes sexually <laughs> charged uh, genetic experiment antics. <laughs> 
<laughs> but it's pink stitch rod. That's how you know it's a girl stitch. It's oh, pink. Yeah, of course. And I'm, I'm sure it has chest bumps to represent breasts. Oh. I'm sure it does. <laughs> Or big eyelashes. <laughs> yeah, there, thank you, Rob. I was just about to correct you. It doesn't, it, it, okay. it's, remember, we can't get too ahead of ourselves. This is Disney, after all. It has pronounced eyelashes. Oh, uh, yes. We're not talking about Don Bluth now. How do we make sure everybody knows this This chicken's a girl? Fuck tits. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. Um, but no. So, like, getting into the actual movie itself. Well, um, I, I do want to. I do okay. want to say on that that last thing, legacy point. Um, uh, that I, I think it also does resonate with the the Kingdom Hearts thing is because Kingdom Hearts is very much like um, like when when I know Zach, you and I talked about it, and I think it's it's a certainty that the question was why the hell is there a big Hero Six world in Kingdom Hearts Three? Of course, Kingdom Hearts Three had um, you know, Tangled and Frozen, so big things right there. Toy Story was in there because the, um, they wanted a Toy Story world since the first one, like the creators did, and so that was a big deal. Monsters, Inc. was in there, I think, for the same reason that, you know, um, uh, that that uh, Big Hero 6 was, is that, you know, they, Disney doesn't really have anywhere else to market these things. And so Kingdom Hearts kind of becomes, like, another channel that they go, like you said, strip it for parts, where they just go, okay, let's just take it and slap it on there. And I'm sure that that's what they were thinking when Stitch World came into Birth by Sleep, where they're like, okay, eight years after the movie, what do we do with it? Uh, just throw it in there. You know, it'll get, it'll rekindle some interest type of thing. And I think that's another, another like, it goes with exactly what you're saying, is that they're stripping it for parts and saying, well, where can we use it? You know, maybe someone will play this game. I'm I'm sure it happened that somebody played Kingdom Hearts 3 and was like, oh, Big Hero 6 seems kind of cool. Maybe I'll, you know, get a month of Disney Plus to watch it, or maybe I'll rent rent it or something like that. I, and, you know, I think that's a – selling it for parts is the perfect way to put that notion. And Kingdom Hearts just happens to be one of those outlets that they can they can do it with. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it has to be something like that. Yeah, yeah. I also want to talk about um, because th- this will probably this is a good segue into the movie. But you were mentioning the franchise as well. Something I had completely forgotten. But if we want to talk about the internet and their continuing need to give things a, a social message or a social justice message or a woke message, as we like to we like to say, I. I cannot believe that the thing that they latch onto about this movie is more of the, oh, the white tourism angle, when we clearly have a character that is not human, but is willingly presenting as female, not only in this movie, but the entire franchise. I completely forgot that Pleakley just decides to dress up as a woman in the entirety of the franchise. And it all came back to me when I watched this movie. Why isn't that the thing that people are latching on to? Why isn't the thing of people going, oh, it's about, you know, choosing your identity and whether that means your identity being your family or your identity being violence versus peace or your identity being what gender you take on? How How is that not the thing these people are getting more than the things from the deleted scenes, right? It's weird. It's interesting to bring that up because I thought about that too. And I think one or two of the things I was looking into mentioned that. And I think they see that as patronizing. They see that as like the gay uncle trope. Or like, like, oh, Pleakley and Jumba are off in the corner, and they're like the gay uncles that we don't talk about what they do behind closed. <laughs> like, I that's kind. Of, I, I can't say any specific like reference one particular article, but that was kind of the vibe I got. That okay. like, oh, okay. this is another example. It's like when um. God, was it the uh, Emma 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 Watson Beauty and the Beast, where you have what oh, Gaston sure. and the other guy, the little like the Josh Gad guy, yes. and it's like oh, like they're gay for each other, 
except like I think it's like what he winks at him once, and that's like yeah, like, that could be interpreted a million different ways. Like, I think they see that as patronizing. Okay, okay. Um, I could see that. Where, I mean, I don't think I didn't take it that way. I actually kind of liked it that there's no like when Jumba and Pleakley have to go into disguise, there's no discussion of like you know who should be what or they they just pop up and they're well jumbo wants to try the wig on eventually there's a fight for the female like being the female in the relationship like they but when they first dress up they just pop up in disguises pleakley's the woman and clearly it's implied that he wants to like be in that because he's interested in humans that he's i don't even know it's an alien so i don't even know what gender he would be it would be in its species type of thing but then of course like you said you have that that whole mention of it but i don't know i i also have to say that I really enjoy Pleakley as a character, voiced by Kevin McDonald, one of the kids in the hall. I'm sure, Zach, you did not pick up on this, but in the restaurant scene when Stitch attacks Pleakley, um, Pleakley is dressed up, you know, in disguise, very similarly to the character Francesca Fiore, which is a character that kids uh, Kevin McDonald plays on Kids in the Hall. So I think that's an intentional nod. Um but I love I love that whole idea that they're just like okay we're in disguise and Pleakley just kind of starts to love the disguise type of thing. <laughs> yeah, Pleakley kind of disappears as a character. What about like halfway to two thirds of the film? Like he kind of yeah. just like yeah. this oh god drifts away. Like he's there, but like he's not the uh, outside of the very end where there's the joke about like uh, we convinced an alien species that the mosquito was an endangered uh, species. What like, a blah, 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 blah. great joke! I love yeah. that joke. <laughs> we. Well, Okay, like I said, do we want to segue into the movie now? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I'm sure there's moments we want to talk about. I uh, About the movie specifically, this is one of the questions that I had after watching it. Um, who is the villain in this movie? Is there a villain? Lo- loneliness, movie? Rob. Okay, I was going to say grief. <laughs> grief was going to be... There you yes, go. Yes, because I don't really know if there is a, like, a bad guy character. Well, okay. Here's if you want to pick out. There's one... no mark. There, there's no scar. Exactly. There's, yeah, there's no, no Jafar. There's no. Um, yeah. There's no um, Hades. Uh, Hades. There's no. Um, uh, there's bad, no white man. Bad from general Tarzan. guy. Yes, exactly. From uh, from uh, Atlantis. You know that type of thing. Um, exactly. And I found that very interesting. And but you know, here's my joking answer. The the character who is most villainous in this movie is the fucking uh, dog adoption lady. Why the fuck? Because they're like, you have to think of a name for your your dog. And one, she doesn't think Stitch is a dog, and she wants to like euthanize Stitch immediately when it when she sees it, you know. And then when she's like, you need a name, and Lilo says, I'm gonna name him Stitch, and she's like, that's not a good a real name. And I'm like, bitch, what are you talking about? What do you want to be like? I'm gonna name him George. Like what? What in what universe? Would Stitch not be a good name for any animal, any pet that you have? And why would you even say that as, like, somebody who is selling, not selling, yeah, selling or, you know, getting dogs adopted? That scene made no sense to me. So she's the most Can villainous I, character in the movie. <laughs> two things about that. One, I always assumed that was Myrtle's mom. I who knew, like, Nani and Lilo were, like, yeah. always causing problems for her daughters. That's what I always assumed considering that like okay she looks like an older version of myrtle yeah yeah and two one thing again you have to give the movie kind of credit for and where it doesn't go like i I, even though i've seen this movie now for 20 years i was all i I felt even shocked at the end of it watching it for this recording there isn't a moment where it's like so why like like the grand councilwoman's like why'd you name him stitch because he was mm. the one that would stitch our family back together. Sure, like, I'm so sure. glad that we didn't get that like really hokey, right? like sentimentality, like just like plastered on. 
I'm like, again, like restraint. I think that's probably like one of the, the biggest like components of this film that I am just the most enthused about. It's mm-hmm. so much restraint it shows and doing things that you would expect from a Disney movie, especially like coming out of the Lion King, Tarzan, Hercules, Little Mermaid era. Absolutely. And I, I'm with you. I'm so with you that we never really got any of those, those two overly, you know, like uh, corny or sappy moments or stuff or stuff like that or two on the nose like the naming and stuff like that. Um, restraint is a great way to put it. Um, and that just makes this movie, you know, all the more enjoyable. Uh, you know, it adds on to the layer of fun that I think it, it, it's another reason it doesn't really slow down or stretch or anything like that. Uh, I'm sure you I don't know if you watched the deleted scene because it actually is on Disney Plus. Okay, good, good. Where instead of Jumba, Jukiba and Pleakley having their big spaceship that they travel to Earth on and they chase Gantu with, they hijack a plane. (laughs) Um, 9-11, right? It all has to come back to it. (laughs) Rob, we have to talk about 9-11. Like, that's the thing. The true hallmark of any Cinematis film. Yes. It has to have some roots in 9-11. Like I said, Ben Affleck's birthday, 9-11, and Shrek. That's uh, what we're going to rebrand the podcast as. (laughs) Talk about SEO right there. No, but I um I actually in that deleted scene I wanted to mention it of course because we'll have to talk about how the fucking plane banks off a skyscraper to to Rob, stop. Whoa, 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 Rob, it has the wheels deployed so it can then like weirdly drift yes, off the side yes. of the building. It's a, and there Come is on, a Rob, shot of like credit. all the glass windows shattering and stuff like that of the of the wheels hitting it. Um, there is a great. In that sequence that you can watch in the deleted scene, there is a fantastic joke where there, there's some action going on. It cuts to Pleakley, who's in one of the seats, like in the in the passenger area, and he's reading the um what the the in flight magazine or whatever, and he's on the phone with with whoever, and he says something like, he's like, "Yes, hi, can you tell me how many pieces are in the four piece luggage set?" And then it cuts away. There's some more action happening, and then when like the two ships are going to collide or something. It cuts back to Pleakley right before the collision, and he says, well, I don't know. Maybe the company is called for peace. <laughs> and I'm upset that they had to cut that joke in favor of, of course, cutting an entire plane hijacking scene, which um, from what I read, um, based on the development cycle of the movie we were talking about, did have to be re-edited because of 9-11. I don't know. Did you find anything about that? I Well, I read what – watched is in one of the behind-the-scenes featurettes mm. where I guess like after 9-11 happened, everybody kind of did one of those things where they start like pulling their claw, uh, collar and like, ooh. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think they weren't mandated by the studio. The, the, the story is that the president of Disney Animation was Thomas Schumacher at the time. And they called him, and his response was like, "Thank you." It was kind of like <laughs> we were good. If you didn't volunteer, we would have asked. But okay. thank you for being the ones who initiated this. And it's like okay, like I said, because it's, it's a really weird. Like in a way, I'm glad they took it out beyond the uh, 9/11 reason because like it's made clear rather early in the film that like this is like an island that doesn't have any major cities on. Yes. yes. So like it'd be weird to sit there now all of a sudden have this major city that we're sitting there doing uh, the trench run through. Mm-hmm. And it's like okay, so no, I think it works on a narrative level beyond just the uh, real world implications of it. I I agree. I had that same thought because you know of course they have to you know drift like you said bank and drift off a skyscraper to stop Gantu um, but I, I had that same idea where I'm like well wouldn't have Stitch found that city and you know gone crazy when he first got here type of thing because um, and, and, there's a whole scene that's still in the movie where you know what he's riding around with Lilo on the on the tricycle the big wheel the yeah, big they wheel, steal the big Myrtle's uh, big yeah, wheel yeah and, and he's just like everywhere he goes you know it's just it's just water it's just island and, and you know shoreline and stuff like that um, I, I think it's also a better choice 
just to have them flying through the um the mountains and you know the uh the the vistas of um i think technically they're on Kauai, the that island of hawaii um mm-hmm. and uh i i think that's a better choice than you know oh we're causing damage to a city even though the whole point of the movie is that we don't want stitch to cause damages to cities <laughs> yeah it's one of those things where like i just don't know if they pawn it off now is like a 9-11 thing sure. where in reality they realize it wouldn't work because again they apparently they did like a lot of oh god um market research for this film in like 2001 mm-hmm. and there was a bunch of stuff where like apparently test audiences had like no idea that nani was the sister not the mother yeah. and they're like why is the mother so like hard on the daughter and then they like sit there really kind of like just hammer that point in home. And there was a bunch of things like that where it was like even um oh god, it's another really pronounced example, and it's not it's on tip of my tongue. Where there was supposedly, I wanna say, um Oh god, I, I just lost it again. And uh, whatever it was. The point being is that there was some stuff where like they had to constantly keep refining this. Sure, sure. Um, but I don't think refining it as like, oh, we need more commercial aspects to it it was more to make it streamlined and simple mm-hmm. um like i said like revisions and notes are not a bad thing it's just that, like what is the motivation for the note exactly exactly and like, I, one, thing I, one yeah. thing i want to ask you real quick what do you think of the disney plus controversy of taking out the dryer and making it into a, a pizza empty pizza box holder um, oh, yeah, I did read about that because they wanted to uh, not encourage children to hide in dryers. Um, I mean, I, I, I think it's 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 fine. I think it's one of those non-controversy things. I think either way it works. Like, I don't think it changes the meaning of the scene. The meaning of the scene is that Lilo has to hide, right? It doesn't really matter what she hides in, I think. Well, that's the thing I don't get, though. Like, and this goes back to any sort of, like, children's thing where, like, oh, like, won't someone think of the children? Like, yeah, was it yeah. uh, Reverend Lovejoy's wife? <laughs> and and it's, like, there's a point where Stitch pulls out a gun and has, like, a gun, like, oh, God, a, a frog with a gun to its head. I'm, like, wouldn't that be something you're more afraid of a kid doing? Like, emulating, <laughs> like, shooting a frog than yeah, the idea yeah. of, like, going into a dryer? I think that um, there's also – whenever that comes up, the, the think of the children aspect, I, I think whenever that comes up, there is a big – the people who think that way a lot um, – there is this notion of, like, representation. For some reason, it's okay if this alien creature does it, but it's not okay if an actual child does it. Is that what it is? But like, I swear, that's what the, the common thread I see in a lot of them, when, you know? When you, when you see representation, I'm like, what, for stupid kids? Oh, my <laughs> <laughs> to represent the slow children out there that want to be it's like telling like someone don't put your like cat in the microwave to dry it off it's like yeah don't yeah. put your baby in the in the dishwasher because it's not dishwasher safe i i that's the common thread that i see i don't i don't fully understand it because the way that i see it is it's like oh if stitch is holding a gun to a frog's head and like let's like let, let me just like try and get in that mindset that's portraying possible animal cruelty we don't want kids to do that but they're not going to think that they're not going to think to do that because they don't see another kid doing it they see stitch doing it and my thought is well no stitch is like a fun relatable character yeah. that's the at the front of the marketing that you want people to like look at in a positive way so aren't gonna aren't kids gonna emulate that more especially you get hit like by three tractor trailers yeah <laughs> that's what i want to do mommy uh, <laughs> but especially like boys seeing this movie like i i like i said i loved this movie when i was a kid when i was a nine-year-old boy i'm sure that i connected and I probably still do more with Stitch than I do Lilo. And so, it, but maybe that's the other thing is that they're like, oh, we don't want, you know, like 
like boys are already playing with their fake guns and we better they better be playing with their fake blasters because that's what we need to sell from Star Wars, you know, coming out and stuff like that. But I don't know, it, it doesn't make sense to me, but that's how I've always the common thread at least is that if an alien character is doing it, if a robot character is doing it, that's fine. If a actual human being is doing it, no, that's going to cause issue. And like I said, I don't fully understand it, but that's what I've seen. That's the only common thread between the arguments with that mindset I've read. I guess. Because, like I said, like, and this is also another one of those ones is what? This was, that was done just for Disney Plus, right? I, I also did read in a few places that it was, um, it was originally changed in the theatrical version that played in the UK. Ah, okay. And, so that, maybe the, that's... The, and then the version on Disney Plus is just like the UK version type of thing. That's what I saw in a few instances, but I don't, I don't know if I have full corroboration on that. I, I would have to assume so. I can't imagine them re-editing a film and, and changing something. What's Disney Plus debuted in 2019? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I cannot imagine them 17 years later, especially after nothing has happened. Just like it had to be something that was convenient for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just to plug that in. Um, but yeah, like I said, those weird things where again, I, I can only imagine something. Something must happen in Frozen that that would not be good if somebody reenacted it. I mean, sure. Um, and that's where, like, I just don't know where the God. line is drawn. I would imagine somebody he's like, think about it. Frozen basically tells kids it's okay to play, like, on, like, oh, God, Frozen, like, surfaces. So, like, <laughs> if a kid falls in the lake, like, there goes your lawsuit to Disney. Like, Frozen yeah. okay it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, it's a... It's okay to be a lesbian. You know, that's a big point of Frozen. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I can see Disney for being a lesbian. Game on, everybody. <laughs> no, that, that's, a, that's a good point. I, I did read about that, the whole dryer thing. And um, I'm sure I couldn't I'm, – I I'm uh, can't think of examples right now, but I'm sure that's happened to other – I'm trying to think of other, like, representation, like, oh, we don't want a kid to do that type of thing that have come up in, in recent years. But nothing's popping in my, into my head. But, yeah, I think, I think there's something about, like, the person do, – a person doing it or something like that. Um, but now but i mean now in the modern era i mean everything's so you know they they re-edit and edit things like i think what the um one of the more recent examples is they you you can't they took out the suicide scene in uh the first season of 13 reasons why because it like they don't want people to like get any ideas and it's like you don't need to see someone cut their wrist to know that that's a way to kill yourself you know um it's like the same maybe the dryer thing is a different example because it's like you know well, I don't know. That's the other thing. If you're a little kid and you can fit in certain places, aren't you going to think like, oh, I can get into the dryer. I can get into the refrigerator. I can get into a filing cabinet. You don't need a movie to explain that to you. <laughs> exactly. So, again, one of those weird things where Disney – I swear to God they get bored. They, they yes. just get bored and they yes. start doing things. Um <laughs> It's like like what Rob, you being the researcher you are, like what the uh, the seeing if the little like shrimp creatures can like run on underwater treadmills. Oh, it's like you sure. find out the Pentagon spent like what like two hundred million dollars on seeing if like crustaceans can like run on treadmills. It's just like I yeah. guess like if there's enough money floating around, you'll find find some way how to spend it. Yes. Yes. Um, Why isn't there more controversy about how at the beginning of the movie uh, Lilo gives a, an aquatic creature a peanut butter sandwich? That should I know, not right? be okay. That's like water pollution. <laughs> <laughs> exactly and like how do you keep the consistency of that like how is uh pudge the fish gonna even be able to eat that yeah that's gonna fall apart i i i'm i don't know is peanut butter water soluble bread definitely will come apart in water. i would assume everything <laughs> like at that point is water soluble like at some point it'll disintegrate it's a question of when not if <laughs> okay okay that's fair zach's like look at the grand canyon everything's water soluble <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, but speaking of that sequence, like we have the like I don't have really much to say about the prelude. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think like, and this is kind of gives you the tone of the movie. Like even with Stitch, and he like like it's obviously like I forgot they like take a blood sample from him. I'm like, what the yeah. hell? Like as I'm watching this, I'm just like, what is going on? And obviously the guns are focused on his DNA signature. And even that's kind of cute because he realizes he can hock a loogie. Like it's a great <laughs> again, it's great kids humor. But also buttering it up, so like it does. It's not just simply like pee and poo humor. Exactly, exactly. There's a, there's a purpose he, to it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, and I'm like, again, like this is one of those. I feel like this is like the stagecoach of children's animation. You just watch it like on repeat, and you can figure out how to make an animated movie for kids one day. Yeah, I do love um, that opening action sequence. I think it's great fun, you know. And um, I I think the one thing I don't like is that all those grunt workers of the Federation are like stupid looking, like lazy Pokemon. They all look like human yeah. animals, you know. And then there's like an IMDb trivia effect where it's like all those animals are modeled after things from Winnie the Pooh. And I'm like, I yep. get I'm like, I get the piglet one that talks. I get the shot. I get yeah, I, I, I was, that's what I was about to say. And I'm like, but one looks like a rhinoceros. What fucking Winnie the Pooh character is that? Okay. Get I'm pretty, off, sure, I'm pretty off sure, sure that's supposed to be owl. The rhinoceros? <laughs> 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 no, but they look they I I didn't like that they look kind of lazy and they're only in that one scene and stuff, you know, but then they're there for exposition. Like he's engaged the hyperdrive and stuff like that. But yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm like, okay, get on with it, you know, that type of thing. Um I wish more of the movie took place on that ship, on the, the Grand Turo, because like I said, that's where you play through in Kingdom Hearts. Um, but it, it's a it's a fun dynamic. I love the um the menagerie type prison bay that Jumba is kept in. That is oh, yeah. such a neat, like, looking thing, and and apparently I was reading that, like, in one of the shots in there, you see some big creature in um in in one of those cells, and that creature becomes like the villain of the sequel or something like that. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. They just reused an animation, you know. Um, and uh, I just love the look of all that. That's that alien stuff for sure. I did, that's one thing I have to say. I didn't really like the space stuff. Oh, um, okay. it felt very. I, mean, I know, like, obviously they designed a lot of the space creatures. They made them like. The foundations of their design were from like aquatic creatures, yeah, yeah. So it has that same sort of art style. I, I, I didn't really like it. I don't dislike it, but it, it feels so removed considering that like we don't go back to space ever again for the rest of the movie. Sure, sure. Outside of that one prison sequence with uh, Jumba, and he, like you said, he's part of the uh, infinite like cells like on yeah, the wall. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I guess that's that's the the Kingdom Hearts of it all that I got to play through that world, and so I connect with it better. But you're right; it's never revisited. It is just the 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 prologue type of thing. Because then that's the thing. Because like immediately you have that prelude, and then we go into her obviously, and you have the I'm not even going to try butchering the Hawaiian word for it. What's sure. the song? Do you know how to pronounce it? Because oh, I obviously no, keep calling it no, the Hawaiian I, song. I didn't even. It's not it Hawaiian down. roller coaster ride. That's the only thing. I, that's, <laughs> the only, that's the only way I can differentiate them. Yep. Yep. So I don't want to butcher anybody's language. So forgive me in advance. And you have that, and that is such a because then because God, that's the first what five minutes of the movie mm-hmm. up until where we have the point where like Lilo gets water on the floor, everybody like trips and falls. Yep. And there is such a hard transition there sure, i know that's sure. kind of uh antithetical terms but like there is a hard transition because we go from something so again cold and aloof and even though yes you could say the ocean's cold but again it's it feels so different like mm-hmm. on a visual palette level and that's where i'm just like okay it, it's a fine transition though but it feels almost as if like the idea of stitches stitch escape thing was something that was almost like an afterthought. And they're just like, oh, well, I, I, how do we, like, it feels like they had, I'm not saying there's like any lost footage. I'm just saying like, it feels like Stitch's arrival was something else. Cause, oh, that's what it was. Apparently 
Okay, this is okay. This is the thing I had from earlier that I kept forgetting. Was that like Stitch was originally supposed to be part of what like a biker gang in space, yes. and Jumbo was supposed to be an outcasted member, and then like everyone's just like, "What? Like, what's the point of this? Like, that's what the <laughs> Tesla audience were like. Like, we don't get this. Like, what's happening?" And that's where it feels like the entire and, and it's true. The prelude was like weirdly tacked on, like as they were kind of midway through production trying to figure out how to introduce Stitch to character to the yeah. audience because yeah. like, they had a really hard time trying to like like how to introduce him without him coming across as unlikable sure sure and that's where it's like i think it works because stitch doesn't really do anything other than just kind of be again kind of obnoxious in the beginning sure like he really doesn't do anything other than like his sole crime more or less is existing yes yes that that I, i found interesting that at the start they're you know basically like Jumbo Jukiba's like, I made this creature his whole sole purpose is to destroy type of thing. And then the, what, Grand Councilwoman is like, can you just show us that there's some good in you? And apparently he curses or says the most offensive thing like in, the, in the galaxy. Oh, yeah, that's that's wonderful. The way that's, that's all the I, members of the council recoil and one of the robots vomits is very funny. <laughs> I, that's got to be one of my favorite, like, cinematic tropes where some, like, you have a character say something, like, in, like, a faux, like, like <laughs> yep. language. And it's like, ugh. Oh, like the pearl clutching. Like, I love that as a trope. Absolutely. But then, yeah, they're like, you know, he curses and, and what uh, spits or shows his ass to them and whatever. And they're like, OK, you're exiled. You know, you cannot exist, basically. Um, I uh, this is probably pure rationalization with, you know, what I think the themes of the movie are. But I do like the um, I get what you're saying about the juxtaposition of that opening scene and then right into the opening credits, the introduction of Lilo. It is very, very, you know, polaristic and extreme. But, you know, I think it's um, they're basically showing us the two ends of the spectrum of the Stitch's violence and Lilo's, you know, not really. We don't get to the family stuff yet in that opening scene, but it starts to develop. And, you know, just Lilo as a character and then kind of those two ends. They by the end of the movie, we meet in the middle where they've both blended together type of thing. But like I said, that's total rationalization of what I think the, well, the, the point I, of the I movie think, is. I think but this comes into like, OK, this is where I'm going to kind of segue back a little bit into like cultural resonance of this movie. Mm-hmm. And as we all know, um, the, like ever since – I would say what? Elton John, The Lion King, Disney realized that like music. Oh, yeah. We can like have yeah. like, like, like a major pop musician do music and it will sell. And as we all know, again, if I've said it now for years now, the Lin-Manuel Miranda train, which still has not stopped mm-hmm. even though like again – I, to the point where they're still – they're playing Encanto music on the radio, which is something I have not heard since like, oh god, Adina <laughs> Menzel and Frozen. Yeah. And I'm just like – I'm just like, oh my god. I'm like it, – it's it's cute music for a Disney movie. It's not radio music. Um, But I think that's another reason why this movie never resonated is that like the music – it has two original songs, which are very – again, for the, the woke crowd, steeped in indigenous Hawaiian people mm-hmm. and just cut in – but I don't think either one of those became anything like the circle of life. No, I don't. I don't think so at all. Yeah, and I think that's one of the, another one of the reasons why this film. You know, this film is great. I don't think it had that commercial music aspect of it that was able to transcend generations. That's a good point. That there's no, um, there's there's nothing uh, sonically. You know, no no song that when you hear it. Because the song's so much quicker than the movie. Of course, song's in the movie, so it has to be shorter. But there's no three-minute soundbite. There's not even, like, a clip from that a song in this movie that as soon as you hear it brings back all the feelings you had as a kid while watching this movie. Like I think, you know, uh, Circle of Life does for Lion King. Uh, maybe Let It Go or I want, oh, Do You Want to Build a Snowman from Frozen does for people that are, you know, grew up with Frozen, I guess. I'm also thinking of, um, you know, uh, what? 
a uh, whole new world from Aladdin, mm-hmm. um, Under the Sea with Little Mermaid, any of those musicals. Um, be be our guest from Beauty and the Beast. I know that's yeah. a big one for me for sure. More so because the two people singing it are <laughs> Angela Lansbury and Jerry Orbach. But I, you're right. I think there's no like little clip that you can get from this movie. Maybe other than just seeing Stitch. Maybe that seeing Stitch in a plush or in a Kingdom Hearts game or as a meme. That's the closest thing we have to a song from this movie that's going to get yeah. people to remember it. And then even the whole Elvis. And this goes obviously with the 18th thing in Elvis. Yes. And then I think about it, their main tie-in thing for this song when it was released was an Elvis cover. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing, too, that, like, it's so weird. Because if you're trying to make a Disney movie right now and say, oh, we want to do an Elvis tie-in, they would literally laugh at you. And, like, just, like, they would sit there and just start chucking $100 wads of bills, like, until you, like, ran out of, like, the boardroom. Oh, yeah. Oh, because, yeah. like, even, even, like, in my – the next closest contemporary example would be, like, Zootopia – where, like, there was a song that went with Zootopia, but guess what? Like, in that – I'm not sure if you've ever seen Zootopia, Rob. I have not, but isn't it a, um, isn't it Shakira song? Yep, okay, it's Shakira. Yeah, like, yeah. it's Shakira is like a gazelle, and the character's name is Gazelle, and it's just, <laughs> it's just a Shakira song. And and I feel like, again, like, when they decide to do, like, the Lilo and Stitch thing, like, there's going to have to be a musical aspect to it. Absolutely. They're ha- not musical as in, like – not musical as in like Frozen or Encanto yeah, or anything yeah. like that. But it's going to have to be even, played up a lot more than it was in the original. Yeah. Exactly. And that even happened in Turning Red, which is the, the latest like Disney animated movie where there's like a faux like 2000s boy band. Okay. And there's music. There, there, there's a very like generic like in sync Backstreet Boys pop song that like plays during the movie then plays in the, over the credits. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's like that's not something that's organic to the story that is an element that the studio is forcing them to plug in yes a hundred percent yeah and that's where it comes down to like i don't care how much again as somebody who find found turning red very funny on uh, speaking of wokeness i will never ever forget <laughs> one of the final lines of dialogue from turning red being my panda my choice mom yes. which my jaw literally just like gaped open i'm like this literally makes no sense unless you're trying to plug in this very peculiar social message into this movie um i am but, not happy that whenever i have to scroll back through our text messages zach that there's like four gifts you sent me of a panda twerking <laughs> <laughs> it's the gift the keys on giving um uh, keeps gifting um anyway uh but no and i think that's the thing about lilo and stitch is that like if if this if they're gonna remake like I guess some point in this conversation I want to delve into like what is the live action adaptation going to be, mm-hmm. um are because I think there's one thing that's stopping them there's something very very specific because they announced this like back in 2018 and there's been like yeah. no problems yeah I've been hearing about now, it for a while now yeah but I think I know what the proverbial arrow through the heart was for this like so come on they'll, they'll... the casting choice everybody's at odds between Tremblay and Corden of course. <laughs> True. Yes. Oh God! Can you imagine? Like, who? Okay. Two part question. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's talk about the live. I I, I want to okay. brainstorm this. Yeah. Okay. In in the live action adaptation, who? What celebrity are they going to get the voice stitch? That completely much like um, Vin Diesel for Groot, or I'm trying to think of another one, but something like that where it, or Idris Elba for Sonic the Hedgehog, sure. where it doesn't really matter. It's just stunt casting. Mm-hmm. Who is the actor they cast to be Stitch? Even though it has no, you could like, much like how the director of Lilo and Stitch voice Stitch, yeah, just yeah. because he's like a temp fill in voice, and they're just like, 
it works. Just keep it in. Like, we, it's one less thing we have to worry about. Yeah, Just keep it, it, it in. It, I, I think, didn't the same thing happen with Brad Bird in The Incredibles Edna Mode that he had? He wanted other people to do it and nobody could do what he did, so he's like, fuck it, I'll do it. And that's yeah. probably Brad Bird's motto was, fuck it, I'll do it, you know? Um, that's it. Okay, who would voice Stitch? Who would I feel it be? Like, like, there's somebody I'm thinking of that I can't place, but it, you gotta have that. Bradley Cooper, Rocket Raccoon, like yeah, something yeah. like that. Um, like, you're, you're just buying the name. You're yeah. not paying for them to do anything. Exactly. I think, I think definitely you're right that they're gonna have to buy into the name but also it's going to be somebody who has that energy of like the um you know the not really high, stitch isn't really high pitched or anything but like that that kookiness of like the um yeah. you know you know jumbling or like rambling and type of thing um i'm trying to think who would fit that really well you know who comes to mind i i don't know if you're going to be on board with this but i think that they could get somebody maybe Oh god, maybe four years ago when this was announced, they could have got it. I think like Charlie Day as Stitch, people would have latched oh, onto a few yeah. years ago. Yeah, maybe definitely. now not so much, but a few years ago, people would have been went crazy for that. I think that's a good one. That's a good one. You know, what I would think they would do. I can. This is gonna be something like in order to get like their headlines and try to like lure in and like a different demographic mm-hmm. than we would expect. I could see them going with someone like. Doja Cat or like Mega Megan Thee Stallion for all the weird voices they oh, do on songs sure. and being like again because it doesn't matter this is all something that's gonna be done post production but again yeah, you're just yeah. buying the name <laughs> I could see them doing something like that to be like we're progressive definitely I could see them doing that I could see them being like oh we're thinking outside the box like like when it comes to like kooky unexpected like just noises you make like who else could you do who yeah. else has better that for this generation i could see them doing that just being like someone who's known for making weird noises with their mouth exactly but like but not in the most conventional way for a disney thing <laughs> yeah, yeah or no michael or winslow rob, you know <laughs> or rob we can just have lin-manuel miranda do it because i like, just 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 throw money at him i yeah and i know you mentioned his name already we have to talk about the lin-manuel miranda of it that's my fear of the live action lilo and stitch it's also not really a fear. I think it's a, an inevitability that they're going to go, where do we start? Well, of course we have to take elements from the original, but man, we should model it more after Moana, right? Yeah. And that's that's the thing that I think the Lin-Manuel Miranda comes into it because they're going to be like, Moana, Hawaii, in Lilo and Stitch, well, clearly Moana and music, we have to use that as such a big template for it um, that it's going gonna, it's gonna to almost, you know, uh, well... The live action version is going to be a bastardization of the original, no matter what. You know that's like a, a certainty, but it's going to be so thought of through the lens of Moana that it's going to be, I think, just out of this world different from it. Yeah, it would, it would have it would have to be something like that. Um, but this is the thing: I, I think what they're going to do. I, I, I'm sorry. The reason why I think they are very afraid to touch this mm-hmm. is for a very specific okay, reason, okay. and I think you're going to know where what I'm getting at once I mention it. Think uh, much like Lilo and uh, the idea of like doing a voice actor for a very specific uh, beloved cartoon character. Yeah. Remember what came out a year after they announced this in 2019. It was Detective Pikachu, which oh, okay. it didn't it didn't bomb, but like that was assumed to be like a billion dollar plus movie in sure. a franchise. Sure, yeah. And that movie, like, it didn't bomb, but it's it severely underwhelmed. Oh yeah, and I think it's now completely forgotten. <laughs> oh yeah, hundred percent. Nobody talks about that movie. And I think they saw that and they realized, oh crap, there's a chance. Not that like Detective Pikachu ruined Pikachu as like a character IP brand, mm-hmm. but I think they saw that as a like think about it. Like, if these things don't make money, it's bad enough like in a quantitative level. There's also the qualitative of now we might have tarnished the brand. Yes, yes, absolutely. 
And I think that's the reason why they 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 took a step back. Because okay. like Pikachu and Stitch are both 2D animated characters that you are that are now in the pop culture zeitgeist. Yes. And everybody has a very specific idea of what they are. There's not much variation on Pikachu. Um, yes, we've seen him like in 3D animation from like video games and things of that sort, though. But when you think of Pikachu, you think of the 2D cartoon character. Absolutely. I would. I would also go to say that a lot of people, if they think of Pokemon, they think of Pikachu, and it's, that actually is a really interesting connection because the series uh, of Lilo and Stitch introduces all these other experiments, which is basically like a Pokemon or a Digimon. But no one remembers any of those except I remember the electric one because it's in the Kingdom Hearts game. Um, but, you know, if you think of, like, oh, like, Dr. Jumbo Jakiba has, you know, 600, what, 627 experiments or something total, and um, Stitch is 626, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, Stitch. You know, Stitch is the only one I care about. Where I'm sure there's a lot of people, okay, I'm not trying to offend any, you know, Pokemon diehards who know every single fucking of the 880 million Pokemon out there or something like that. But when I think most people think of Pokemon, they think of Pikachu. <laughs> yeah. And I think what they're afraid of is that, like, much like how Detective Pikachu, like, underwhelmed, I think they're aware of the fact that a live-action Stitch could potentially do that. Absolutely, Because think about it, like, yeah. if you're, like, because, again, it's not just simply, like, looking at the, the movie or the studio. Like, if you make a live-action Stitch that turns people off, there goes, like, the plushes are going to stop selling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. It's going to turn people off. It's going to tarnish other things. And I think – because even recently, I want to say it was this year, McDonald's had, like, Stitch Happy Meal toys. Really? Oh, wow. And okay. it was like – it was like if you – again, Rob, if you go to the computer, you type in, like, Stitch McDonald's 2022. And it was, like, little keychain things. Like, it was, like, Stitch's head, like, in different poses and stuff. Like, one was him with, like, with sunglasses. It was, it was, like, again, very cheap, nothing. Yeah. But, like, Disney only does this sort of stuff. Unless it's like it's there, like we've all driven on roads before. Where you have those two little wires on the road that measure the amount of traffic the road gets. Mm-hmm. Disney telling McDonald's we want to make this the Happy Meal toy, and there's nothing really to coincide with it. There's no anniversary. There's no new project. Yeah, is them? It's it's the Disney equivalent of putting the two little markers on the road that you run <laughs> over to measure traffic. Definitely, it's to see if there's any talk. Exactly. It's the it's the same thing as they're selling it for parts, but now they're maybe thinking it's like okay, you know, we can actually use this as a gauge type of thing. Exactly. McDonald's. I mean, I think it's different from the Kingdom Hearts thing because Kingdom Hearts is so niche. You know, it's not like oh, if we put them in Kingdom Hearts, everybody's going to want it again. You put in McDonald's, that's going to get traction. And I did look at these pictures. These things look cheap as shit. Um, exactly. But I mean, I don't. I haven't seen a McDonald's toy in real life in many years. I'm assuming they're all just cheap as shit these days. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's the idea that like for for something like think about it, they are making McDonald's toys. For something that – for a movie property that is 20 years old. Like can you imagine in 2002 if they're like, yeah, we're going to have a round of E.T. toys for kids in 2002? Oh, jeez, yeah, yeah. Like, like, like again, put it in that level of perspective. Like can you imagine that? Like again, McDonald's and Burger King would have laughed you off the face of the earth. Yeah, it's something that's yep. happening now. Uh, and, and that's the point of all this is that like – they are clearly kicking the tires on it, and they're mad they just can't shoot from the hip and have it be a success. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. They want a lion. They want a 2019 Lion King. They just want to sit there. Just they don't care what it looks like. They just want to push it out the door, and they want to make 1.6 billion dollars. Exactly. That's all they want. They don't. They don't want people 20 years from now saying, "Oh, I love this movie." They want just here's the check we we were able to cash for 1.6 billion dollars in 2019. 
great moving on they mm-hmm. do not they don't want that's the weird thing about disney we talked about it a lot in the disneyland sing-along songs hd video is rob always likes to point out yes. that it is hd it's not <laughs> sd um rob did i tell you that i found the french version of that no there's one it's the exact same thing but they're at disneyland paris and i lost my mind <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> we might have to do that for uh, dancing december plus this year perfect um <laughs> Um, when we're not talking about Avatar to the way of water. And we all and we will have to do some singing along in in like in the episode in French. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, I think it's the exact same songs, but like they're in Disneyland Paris. Like it's the exact okay. same thing. It's just okay. they swapped out the backgrounds. Like it's still follow the leader, except it's in France this time. And it gets a little too close to a Nazi occupied France. So like <laughs> it gets it gets a little it gets a little iffy there for a moment. Um Oh god, Rob! Avatar two: The Way of Water. Did you watch that trailer? No, Rob? I have not watched the trailer. I haven't watched a trailer for damn near anything in a while. <laughs> okay, Rob's, Rob's gonna keep the street going. I know now there's, I know there's a Gayward. bunch of a bunch of trailers that have come out that I have no interest in, and I, I keep seeing things of like people react to this trailer, and I'm like, oh, that came out. Okay, you know. <laughs> Rob's like, oh god, Rob's like, there's a Fantasia 2000. I'm even free to see the first nine one thousand nine hundred ninety nine. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Oh, um, that was a bad joke. I don't, I don't know why I just thought of that. It's all the Disney research. Um, anyway, um, but yeah, like live action Stitch, um, it's inevitability. Um, I know in their T, the Disney Plus show, better Nate than ever. There's a joke about there being a Lilo and Stitch musical. Okay. I don't know why they haven't done that yet. Like yeah, that, like yeah. again, like outside of the fact, like I guess there's only two songs from Lilo and Stitch. Um, but again, you think it's just an excuse to make money? They don't have to put that much effort into it. Do you think uh, – speaking about the music, and we mentioned Elvis before, um, maybe not do you think. Maybe I'll put it this way. I'll, I'll answer this first. If there is not a Lilo and Stitch reference in Baz Luhrmann's Elvis movie, I will be deeply upset. <laughs> oh, God. You know what's kind of surprising is that like in this when we hear like Lilo going off about like Pudge the Fish and the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yep. Uh, I'm surprised there wasn't a joke about like how Elvis liked what the – was the peanut butter, bacon. Yeah. I'm surprised it wasn't like that. It's cool. I'm surprised they didn't just plug that in considering this is a movie so weirdly Elvis heavy, which kind of makes like, is there a reason why this is so Elvis heavy other than like, oh, Elvis, Hawaii. I they can, go together like lamb and tuna fish. I, I get it. <laughs> like lamb and tuna fish. Ooh, what? You don't like that analogy? Maybe spaghetti and meatball? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that I, I think so. I, I kind of just. You know, I didn't really think about it when I was younger. It was just like, oh, Elvis, you know, and he's a big, famous musician. And um, now it's just I kind of think of it as, oh, they needed some type of tie-in. And so there you go. That It's like, gonna, like music is like a universal connection, I guess. And they throw it in this movie just for that, you know, family thing. Something to bond for her and uh, Lilo and Stitch to bond over. I mean, you know, it's not like Elvis – you could say that Elvis has like a, a soundtrack for this or anything. I mean, it's more of an influence on the movie. Um I don't know. I really don't know. I, I mean, I'm fine it's like, with it's it. Like yeah. a weird, it's like a weird moment, like, in the second act where, yeah. like, Elvis becomes, like, a focal point where, like, like what, Nani's going around looking for a job and Lilo, ha- Lilo has, like, a um, little wagon and it's like, here's the kid. Here's Elvis. He's he the was king. A, he was a model citizen and you have to be a model citizen, Stitch, and so, you know, you have to, you have to do all the things Elvis did. I guess that's because that's all, like, she really Lilo knows about model citizenship is like famous people, I guess. I don't know. But but not even famous people. It's just like we hear her with the album in the very yeah. beginning of the movie where it's like Leave Me Alone to Die. Mm-hmm. Then we have her like using Stitch is uh, a turntable. Yes, that's not a, a turntable. Good, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
Um, you have that, and then like we see him like dressing up as he plays the guitar on the beach. Like we're like then out of nowhere, he doesn't like being crowded with flash photography. Yeah, like yeah. It, it comes out of nowhere, and then like he goes back, like he like he like tears everything apart, and it's like. Like, like, what, what was the point of all? Like, it's cute. Yeah, yeah. But like, that's where it's like, there's moments like that where I get, I think, subconsciously turn people off because it's just like, okay. what's the point of this? Yeah. Like, you can very easily strip the Elvis level out of this, and it does not alter the movie at all. Sure, it's more fun for fun's sake than you know tying into anything thematic. Well, yeah, it's like, oh, like, like, like yeah. mom and dad remember Elvis when they took the kids to this. You know, Elvis kind of like reaches prime by like the like what the sixties, <laughs> right? Yeah. So like, it's like I, I, again, very, very peculiar decision to make. Um, so we're adding, we're might... adding that to the Baz Luhrmann things that we need. We need a Lilo and Stitch reference, and we need a Vestigial <laughs> Twin reference. I think that's the two that we've come up with so far. For the do Baz we? Do we? Reference. Have we talked about that on the record yet? If we'll get the uh, the stillborn brother like, like reference in the I movie, know I think we'll get you that. and I have talked about. It. I don't know if it's been on an episode yet because the episodes that we've recorded, I have not edited yet, so I don't remember. Okay, because will time, that movie episode... be out by the time it, it, it's within a week or so? Episode, I think okay. how June June. June's release schedule for movies is we have like first weekend of June, which I don't think has any big movies. Second week is a uh, dinosaur three. Um, I think the third week is Baz Luhrmann. I think so. Like it's close. Like it's going to be really, really close. It's okay. either going to be the Monday after or the Monday before the movie comes out um, with um, Tom, Tom Hanks doing, uh, Oh God, what the Colonel? Yes. Yes. Colonel. <laughs> You and I, I was, we are not so different, you and I. And I, <laughs> God, I, I'm probably gonna go see that in theaters because it looks oh, fucking out of this world. It's Baz Luhrmann, yeah, right? Like, it, like it, it's like you have to go again. It's like uh, uh, Tarantino at this yes. point. It's like June twenty fourth is the United oh. States release date. If we fly to Australia, we can see it on June twenty second. <laughs> <laughs> I used to represent you, Mr. Presley. I, <laughs> oh, I, I, you know, see, I think you know things are rough when, like, a Baz Luhrmann movie probably will be the best movie of the summer. Like, <laughs> right, right. You, you know, it's gonna be a rough summer when that's the high point. It's like, oh God. Um, yes. Okay, Elvis Presley. Oh, also, uh, speaking. Of, yes, Trump. the other, the other Elvis thing I wanted to mention, um, in regards to this movie is, um, because we talked about it. I, either we will talk about it when we get to Men in Black 2 or we or have already talked about it when we did Men in Black 1 and 3. The, at, okay. the, at the fight scene or one of the action scenes at the end of this movie, Lilo and Stitch, um, I think what? When Jumba is attacking – after Jumba and, and um, Pleakley get fired and Jumba's like, now we do things my way and he's attacking the house and all that stuff. Somehow when things are getting knocked around, um, the record – like the needle drops on the Elvis record and we start hearing an Elvis song playing. And um, Jumba says, I love this song. I think it's a nice touch that Jumba, this, like, alien delinquent criminal who's doing genetic research, knows Elvis. Like, there's no indication earlier in the movie that he would have listened to Elvis while on Earth. I think the implication is very clearly that Elvis is – has Elvis's music has reached other galaxies and other species that are off of Earth. And this is just adding to the thing that, you know, I, I think it's Men in Black 1 where, you know, Tommy Lee Jones says, Elvis isn't dead. He just went home. And – 
I we're getting this pantheon of like Elvis being an alien or reaching aliens, like all these these slew of jokes that I just love for some reason. <laughs> well, I think it's fascinating. Like I imagine if you were to like ask a certain group of people like well, what Elvis is, like I think he's almost like supernatural character now. Like, he's like the equivalent yes. of like a Bigfoot Absolutely. or like a Mothman. <laughs> like Elvis wasn't a musician from the fifties and sixties. He was like, he's a supernatural being now. A hundred percent. And I think Rob knows that like in my like halloween menagerie that i have the tombstone that says elvis accept it and like yes. people have i have to explain that to people now and being like 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 that's a thing the idea that the king didn't die like he just went he went he went back to his home planet yep, yep. um <laughs> yeah like it's weird to think it's weird to think that elvis is like this weird like like not even larger than life anymore but just kind of like this almost what would you call it supernatural character as opposed to living breathing human being absolutely years ago? like like a like a, a, a looming presence it's a, like a, a looming aura not even presence you know <laughs> entity entity yes yes oh, I, I really love that idea that he's like i love this song and i'm like yeah i like i like elvis you know elvis and his vestigial twin <laughs> <laughs> I, I also want to mention in that fight scene, because um, uh, we were talking about deleted scenes earlier, there is a deleted scene that I think uh, test audiences or what I was reading test audience thought was too violent, which you can watch. It's mm-hmm. like it's like somewhat animated, somewhat like uninked and stuff like that, where when Jumbo breaks in the house, there's a lot more shooting. There's a lot more violence. I think um, in the actual theatrical cut of the movie or the, the version of the movie that exists now, the reason the house blows up is because – like what they plug up stitch plugs up the gun or whatever and it's going to explode and they're playing hot potato with it but in this version on the deleted scene stitch rips off the stove and fills the house with gas and and, <laughs> no. and when jumbo shoots the laser gun it like blows up the whole house <laughs> well even like cuz that's even yes like I saw that too and I'm just like okay that I see them trimming because that is something that is like a real thing with any house yes. that has like like natural gas um I have to admit, the, probably the best part of that entire moment is just like, oh god, completely carrying what Nani out and or no Lilo, Lilo out. Yeah, like, trust me, this is not going to end well. <laughs> yes, just, yes. Just like diving <laughs> behind, uh, like it's almost like what Monty Python esque, where like what's the meaning of life, where like John Cleese gives uh, Mr. Creaso like the, like the wafer, <laughs> and he knows that's gonna be the thing. He just like just dives over like the table. Like, yeah. I kind of like again that it's those small touches in this. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know, like. It feels like the biggest note that they were given when this film was like close to like completion was Stitch was too much of an agent of chaos. Sure, sure. Because like it, it seems like he's been the most toned down out of everybody. Absolutely. Um. Yeah. You know, I I think that that and that works well to the to the movie to make him more of a you know his his arc through the movie of becoming just not just violence but understanding family and and calming down I guess to some extent. Um, you know, not building San Francisco and destroying it type of thing in Lilo's room, which is a great sequence. Um, but but yeah, I, I can understand why they wanted to make it a little less violent uh, just overall, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, also, okay. I also want to mention in that scene, uh, one of the one of the best delivered lines of dialogue in this movie when Lilo was on the phone when the alien, hello, Cobra Bubbles, aliens are attacking my house. <laughs> <laughs> It is delivered so well, and I mean, it's of course, it's the great Devay Chase um, that um, we, we've talked about before—the whole spirited way of it, you know, that type of thing. Um, but just that line, the way it's delivered, the way that like the 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 it slows down and like the the tone like takes like this this gradual like you know almost like downturn. And it's just fantastic. <laughs> oh, it's okay. My dog found the chainsaw. <laughs> 
yes, yes. It's it's great. I mean, there's a lot of the the way that a lot of these lines are delivered. You know, I think all, especially we haven't even talked about um Ving Rhames as Cobra Bubbles. You know, like him being that that former CIA agent, which I do think is a fun touch. You know, uh, like Roswell, 1971, or whatever the hell he says. You know. Um, and the whole thing, him, one of the quotes I was going to say at the start that I didn't go with, but he's like, I'm the one who you call when things go wrong. And believe me, things have gone very wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ving Rhames is great. Oh, like, yeah, like yeah. He's like one of those actors that like I think still hasn't gotten his due, like in the sense of like being like a, like a great A character actor. Definitely, definitely. I mean, what? I he's mean, just... he's still only... I mean, if you if people ask about Ving Rhames, what they're going to say, Pulp Fiction, right? I would I would say like Mission Impossible Man. Oh God, like, now like, probably when yeah, you say Mission, Mission Impossible, Impossible yeah. Man, it's not Tom Cruise. Yeah, it's Ving, it's Ving Rhames. Yeah, okay. <laughs> like that's why I remember when I think it was the fourth one came out and there was no Ving Rhames. I'm like, what happened to Ving Rhames? And he just shows up at the end. He gives like Tom Cruise the finger. Like literally in the movie, gives Tom Cruise the <laughs> finger and like walks away. And I'm like, oh, that explains it. A little truth in uh Yeah, that's a, media. I haven't seen a Mission Impossible movie in so long. I've only seen one and two also. Um, which I think – is he – he's not in the first one, is he? No, he's in the first one. Oh, he's in the first – okay. I don't, yeah, I don't remember them at all. But oh, yeah, I mean – you saw that. We, Rob, we know you've seen the third one. There's a bug in, there's a bug in my brain. I've seen that scene from the third <laughs> one because I've had there's to clip it for this show. There's a bug in my brain. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I, I, I know that scene. I don't think I've ever seen – that's a J.J. Abrams I've, right. I've missed. That's the entire movie, Rob. That's the entire movie. That's Perfect. That's all you need to know. Um, but yeah, I mean, like Ving Rhames, I think, like, I think of, of course, you know, I am really fucking far from okay in Pulp Fiction. Um, I <laughs> nah, know Ving Rhames in, um, he, there, he's one of, one of the movies I find absolutely hilarious. One of my favorite comedies is, um, The Goods, Live Hard, Sell Hard. And at the beginning of that movie, when Jeremy Piven decides to take the, um, the job that is like the whole premise of the movie in that small town at that car dealership, they're all at the bar, like the whole team's at the bar and Jeremy Piven tells them that they're going to, um, I think like Telicula or whatever. And Ving Rhames says, he's like, whatever Jeremy Piven's character is, he's like, Tom, whatever it is, you know, he's like, Tom, listen, I love you. I'll follow you to the ends of the earth, but I haven't been home. I haven't been home in four years and I am pretty sure I left my front door unlocked. (laughs) (laughs) And the way it's, it's like, that's the way it's a funny line, but the way Ving Rhames delivers it is fantastic. Um, I also, think of Ving Rhames, I think of, um, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. He's one of the firefighters oh, yeah. that's really macho that turns out to be gay at the end. He's good in that movie, even though that movie is kind of, you know, very problematic for a slew of reasons. Uh, not only the, the homosexual angles it takes, but I mean, yeah, I'm with you. Ving Rhames has never really gotten his due, and it's great to hear him in this, and because he delivers his lines fantastically, and also when I, I feel like when I look at Cobra Bubbles, I think of Ving Rhames as well. Well, yeah, because I know at one point that like, the social workers would be like this really kind of like scrawny guy. Like yeah, think of, oh, God, yeah. like Mr. Ichabob, like kind of like that level sure. of just being like almost like suony, like almost like you could see his muscles like through his like shirt because he's just so lanky. Um, oh, yeah. Like, no, like, no, I, it's the thing. Like there's elements of this that you wouldn't expect that just work. 
And he's one of those layers that, like, you would think on paper wouldn't be like, like, why do we need this? Like, do you really need this? Not not the social worker aspect, but just him being, like, this really kind of, like, menacing figure. Mm-hmm. If anything, he's the closest thing you have to a villain in this. Sure, sure. Oh, 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 presenting as a villain, absolutely, you know? Um, especially with the um, the family dynamic and stuff like that, which, of course, is a core of this movie. I also want to mention that uh, Cobra Bubbles, also a great name for a character. Uh, I, oh, my God, his introduction, he's like, I'm Mr. Bubbles, and not... And he's like, that's a, I know. <laughs> and then Lilo saying, well, you have your knuckles say Cobra or whatever written Cobra on him. But he, he's in the scene. The, there's a, a lot of funny moments in this movie where I chuckled, of course. Um, and, and some I've mentioned, some we haven't mentioned yet, the quick lines and stuff. There was one moment where I like laughed out loud, you know, me watching this at like 9 PM or something. And there's one moment where I was like, I like literally like laughed. And it's when the second time the social worker shows up at the house after they've adopted Stitch and Stitch throws the book at his head. <laughs> like it comes out of nowhere and it's so abrupt and it's so like, you know, disorienting. I think for the audience and for Cobra Bubbles that it is, it is perfectly timed and it is hilarious <laughs> i think that's the thing that makes like stitch so amusing like that one moment being yeah, like once yeah. amongst met one amongst many moments but like stitch is just a little asshole like that's yeah. just what he is like like <laughs> like that's kind of just what he is like he's he's not he's more than like a tt fly he's just an asshole like yep. who just like he does what he wants and and that's <sighs> I love when they first bring him back to the house, and his first thing is he goes into the kitchen, takes a drawer, turns it upside down, and then moves on to the next thing, (laughs) into the blender. Like, he's just opened a drawer for the fun of it. But even too, like even the moment like where like like uh, Lilo makes him like a little bed on the floor and he goes to her bed and <laughs> yeah. she gives him like a bottle filled with coffee. <laughs> yes, yes, I, I filled it with coffee. That's right. Yep. <laughs> and that's when he starts wrecking like the little city he makes. Yep, yep. And it's like no more coffee for you before bedtime. That, no. That's also another probably my favorite. Oh God, it's tough to say if I have a favorite joke in the movie because there's so many and there's so many different jokes, you know. But when Stitch is like wrecking her room that first night. And she's like, stop it, and trying to control him and stuff like that. It's right before she puts the lay on him, which calms him down, is he rips the painting from her easel, and she goes, no, that's from my blue period. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, that is a joke I definitely did not get when I was nine seeing this in theaters, but now I think it is one of the most clever things to put for, like, Lilo specifically, not just to put in a kid's movie, but for Lilo specifically to say, who is this kind of, you know, eccentric, strange child? (laughs) (sighs) I guess this movie is chock full of one-liners that aren't just simply, like, there to make the characters look cool. They actually are funny, and they enhance the story. The the, the hard cut to... um them adopting a pet at the uh, at the kennel or whatever and nani saying you know we need something like that's sturdy something that won't die you know and then lilo goes like a lobster <laughs> <laughs> but like that but the thing about those like and this is like everything i want from like humor nowadays it's like if this was like any other movie if this was guardians of the galaxy it would be you stupid idiot we can't have a lobster uh, like it would exactly. be pointing the finger at the joke it would be but played like, it would be stretched out and played to death yeah yes but like yes uh Nia, oh my God. one more time <laughs> nani's thing is like lilo like we have a dog door not a lobster door yes, we're getting yes. dogs <laughs> like it's that notion of like you're not laughing like you're not pointing a finger at the absurdity of it it's like lilo like we gotta do something realistic here like do we have a lobster door? No, we have a dog door. We have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh god, yeah. But that, even like, it's, it's it's a funny movie. It's absolutely a funny movie. <laughs> but going back to Stitch for a moment, and like another aspect of him, like we all like pick up on his moments of him being like an asshole and him just like doing like zany irreverent things. But one thing too, and I picked up on it rather early in the film when he's like in the glass containment thing, like within like the the Senate chamber of Star Wars, and like we see him in that glass tube, but just how he walks, not just in that particular moment, but just how he walks around in general. Like you watch him, like he hops around, yes, and like he crawls and just his how he's animated his movements are kind of like 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 if you're watching any other like it, it reminded me almost like what south park did with the characters how they moved originally and that like you see this little creature that has what two legs and four arms yeah, yeah. but just how he moves is not unique but just not what you'd expect it to be absolutely and i i'm glad you brought up the jumping because the crawling is very insect like um which i enjoy but then, like, you know, the jumping is also very – I mean, I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, they introduce Stitch as this genetic experiment. And uh, and Jumba has that whole little monologue he does to the to the council where he's like, you know, it's it's created – it's bulletproof, fireproof. This, like, can lift all its weights, thinks faster than a supercomputer. And, you know, he's basically just saying how it's like this created thing, you know. And I think what even Gantu says something like it's an abomination of nature or it goes against God. He's basically, like, an inch short of saying – and it and whenever we see Stitch like moving in those different ways, like yeah, there's some insect like movements, but then the hopping is very much like you know a mammal like movement, and it's just such a great you know combination of all these different ideas that it makes it so unique. And I think that adds to what we were saying before of Stitch being such like a memorable character that if you have the plush of Stitch in any position or a keychain or whatever, you could be like like imagine like a kid playing with it, you could have it making a crawl, you could have it making a jump, like it it lends to that dynamicness of it that I think you know makes it last even longer. Where what I mean if you get like um, I'm trying to think of other famous like creatures from disney movies like flounder's a fish flounder's only gonna swim uh, abu's uh, abu's a monkey he's only gonna move like a monkey where stitch really lends itself to all these different you know angles of of animation and of imagination yeah and he and he really like even when we see him in the dog pound and the 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 woman who's like mining the counter is like trying to pull him back yeah. and just how he pulls her forward like he kind of walks almost like a tortoise at that point yep where he's like you can tell like here's pressure being applied to him but he just keeps going all the same <laughs> yeah and there's things like that that are again it's a visual gag but it works because it's communicating to the audience that like this this stupid little blue alien is able to kind of just like pull, take this like adult woman that's trying to hold him back, and he's just like just trudging ahead forward. Absolutely, I also love in that kennel scene that how it shows off the intel. Well, one the opening scene shows off I think like the um the physical like the the escape scene shows off the physical abilities of Stitch, but then also the intelligence in that kennel scene where he like sees the poster of, like, a girl hugging a dog. He realizes that he's near other dogs or, you know, those creatures. Sees Lilo, like, gravitates towards that. Like, there's a whole level of just, like, this isn't just some, you know, destructive creature. It's also a very smart creature. Well, yeah, he's, like like they said, he is intelligent. Like, nothing he's doing is just kind of, there's a purpose to everything he does. The whole fact that, like, the impetus of the plot is he only goes with Lilo because he realizes he has a human shield. Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. (laughs) And and it's explicitly said to the audience as well. Because we have Jumba and Pleakley, and Jumba's trying to take him out with, like, a rifle. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's some that's some it's some good stuff, man. It's it's a thoroughly enjoyable movie. Absolutely. Um I'm trying to I'm trying to think of this other 
notions that I wanted to mention that we haven't gotten to yet. Um, there's one. There's oh, yeah, one thing I want to bring up, and you would think, Rob, if there is besides this movie, what is the other movie that comes to mind when you think of a child adopting an alien as a quote unquote pet? Uh, would it be E.T.? It would be E.T. Okay, okay. And while watching this, does E.T. – at any point in this movie while you're watching it, do you ever think, wow, they stole that from E.T.? I, I did not ever. Exactly. And I think that is the thing. But there's only a handful of movies out there that are that very specific plot line of a child sure. quote, adopting an alien as, as their own like family member, pet, whatever – and E.T. being one of the biggest movies of all time, just 20 years removed when this mm-hmm. movie was released, mm-hmm. less than that when it was in production, and at no point while watching this you can say, huh, this clearly they took this from E.T. Okay, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I, think I have not seen the... E.T. in a very long time, but you're right that that cultural legacy, it, it doesn't matter how long it's been since you've seen it. You still know all the plot points. You still know the premise, you know? And um, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. That, that's interesting. Okay, okay. And I think that is one of those things where like you, you got to give it credit. Like it's – E.T. E. one of the biggest films of all time, and yet this movie, following a very similar premise in a nutshell, does not go anywhere near it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And, and you know, also, maybe to go back to what you said about restraint, good on this movie for never, you know, trying to rip off, like, the um, the bicycle shot or anything like that from E.T., never ripping off, you know, uh, what is it, Reese's Pieces that E.T. likes in or whatever? Yep. yep. And, uh, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, Stitch never loves a candy or anything like that, you know? So good on them for that. But you're right. It's not that they're, you know, that they're just avoiding those common things that everybody knows about E.T. It's also that they can do something so similarly plotted but not draw that connection. I, yeah, I didn't even think of that while watching this movie at all. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's probably the highest like form of praise you can give this is that <laughs> right? it doesn't go anywhere near E.T. Yeah, yeah, okay. And, and E.T. being another movie that I think 40 years later, we really don't talk – think about one of the biggest movies of all time. We do not talk about it at all anymore like it's a cultural thing. Nobody is racing to show their kids E.T. anymore. Absolutely, yeah. I, I mean um... – Think of all the movies that – I think we talked about a little bit in our what? The Thing? This, do we just, I'm trying to – did we talk about The Thing? No. Or no, Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Blade Runner, Blade Runner. yeah, yeah. It's like in 1982, like so. I just we dislike Blade Runner, like Blade Runner, the thing. All these movies from '82, Tron. Yeah, I think camp in our Tron discussion too. All these movies that were kind of just like discarded in like the wake of ET, and yet 40 years later, out of all those, ET is the one we talk about the least as a culture. Yeah, yeah. I mean, God, now that you bring it up, I haven't even heard anybody say "phone home" in years maybe 10 mm-hmm. years maybe a decade <laughs> i know and, and think about it, et still has a, a ride at universal studios like it's still there in the pop culture for people who wouldn't just stumble upon it like through netflix or whatever streaming service that would be on it's uh it, it's it's i don't want to say it's forgotten because it's a spielberg movie it'll never be forgotten but like it's something that has been disregarded by the culture oh my god you just dug up such a ridiculous memory in my head from talking about et have you ever heard – God, this would, this would have been high school. Have you ever heard either of my parents say, goodbye, Conchita? Have you ever heard my parents say mm. that? It probably has happened, but I do not remember a particular instance. Okay, so this is, uh, is going to sound incredibly racist. It probably is incredibly racist. Um, every time my parents and I would go to a hotel, or more specifically my father and I because we traveled a lot for Yu-Gi-Oh!, which has been said you know, all around the country, that type of thing. Uh, we would stay at hotels if it was too far for us to drive back or anything like that. Um, 
my my dad refers to uh I might be blowing up a spot <laughs> all um cleaning people <laughs> like housekeeping people at hotels oh, as no. Conchita. Oh, no. <laughs> That's that I I don't know. I think that it's just because, you know, I my dad is of the stereotypical mindset that housekeepers are, you know, of Spanish descent, that type of thing. But there was always a question. I, I never understood for the longest time why my parents did this. And then uh, it, there was a point in my life when um, my dad bought a converter. So he, he was able to take those, like, tapes for the, the home video recorder that he had, which were on some, like, I don't know, maybe not 8 millimeter, but some, like, you know, cassette-type thing. And he bought a converter that was going to transfer to DVD because he wanted to, you know, digitize them type of thing, or at least make them somewhat, you know, more stable rather than just having all these things that he couldn't play except on the recorder. And when he was going through this, we were basically re-watching all of them, and he had video from when I was very little that I don't even remember because I was so little. Us as a family being on the E.T. ride. And on the the E.T. ride... There was this thing where you could like, you would you would basically be able to give your name yep, to I the ride, exactly and the, I know exactly what you're talking and about. And at the end, ET like the ET animatronic would go like goodbye, Robert, or you know something like that. And my dad has on videotape us going through the ride and <laughs> ET going goodbye, Conchita, <laughs> and, and that is become that is like a meme in my family. For the rest of time. <laughs> that is the memory you just dug up from talking about E.T., Zach. How have I never... I, okay, if I would have heard this before, like the context part of it, I would never have forgotten this. How is this <laughs> I know, I know. I, I don't think I've ever you told you that before. years now. How is it that we've not dis- <laughs> I, I touched upon this at any point? I don't know. That's, <laughs> a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big one. But yes, that is... If that ever happened, like, goodbye, oh, Conchita. I, that, is, that is on... A DVD somewhere in my parents' house. <laughs> that is a clip I will not be able to find in time for this episode. <laughs> oh, dear. Good old oh, E.T. Dear. Good old E.T. <laughs> All but right, yeah, Rob, you're, well, you're right. Good well, point. were you uh, recollecting this story to us? Um, I'm looking. I was trying to figure out again, going back to like just like at the time, 2002, how much Stitch merchandise there was. Okay. Uh, as we've made it abundantly clear now that there is no shortage of Stitch plushies out there. But for the film's initial release, there was only two major ones I could find. Um, one of them is just like Stitch, like in the weird like bug crawl, like crawling position that he's in, sure. or like, like he's with, like on the with his antennas out. I don't know if it's that. Okay. He's kind of like in dog mode. Like, okay, I guess okay. dog mode would probably be the best way to describe it. Another one's with him like in the alien prison jumpsuit. Oh, that's cool. And, it, and this is the part I think you'll love. Like, it's one of those um, – they don't really do it for toys that much anymore. But, like, it's a talking toy. Like, I think probably can, like, squeeze his belly. He'll sit there and go, oh, mira cuesta. Yeah. Like, like, one of those. <laughs> yeah. And yet on the packaging, there's a little, like, sticker that says $2 savings rebate. Purchase this toy as well as the soundtrack. See, like, reverse packaging for more details. Okay. And I kind of love the idea of buying a stuffed animal and, like, buying the soundtrack and having probably jumped through so many, like, just, like, hurdles to save $2 on probably a $15 stuffed animal in, like, $8 CD. Yes, yes. (laughs) That's good. God, rebates. I haven't heard of that in forever. (laughs) I I did – found in my notes, you mentioned it. I do like the the frog in this movie. One, I like the frog at the start that the frog, you know, basically is a – one of the first things Stitch encounters on Earth, and then the frog kind of helps Stitch at the end. Nice little touch. Nice little touch right there. 
Yeah, like I said, there's a bunch of stuff. But like, I guess like I have I don't have much more to say about the movie. Um, the last thing I just want to bring up, and I kind of again going back to like the the horrible, horrendous socio political oh, culture sure. war that we live in. I kind of find it funny that like the Deus Ex Machina for the story of like Lilo and Nani is they basically get put like like into the welfare state for like aliens. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Like I, I wanted to up. talk about this too because is the implication because the the ending montage of this movie, which is probably my least favorite part, because I don't think it makes sense. It shows them going to like fucking Rome and like traveling the world, and I'm like, is this all happening on Nani's general store salary, or are they getting like alien money? <laughs> I think they have like a spaceship, so they can just kind of like it's that notion of like. I don't know, like it, it's it's Deus Ex Machina money. Like it's okay. just like yeah. I, I would that did imagine not click that. With me. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. Because like that, because like because that's even the thing too. Like how the movie ends. Like you get this weird montage of like all like just how peaceful and just exciting their lives are now. Yes, yes. And like not that it feels like undeserved. But it kind of comes out of nowhere. Like, really, in all honesty, the movie should just like they have the the Burn in Love cover by Winona, yeah. Which, if it weren't for the eighteen song, like, would easily be like a ten out of ten like pop song. But like, when you're <laughs> in the shadow of the eighteen in the early two thousands, sure. what hope do you really have? Um, and like, you have all that, but like, because you also basically get a photo montage followed by a photo montage, like a, a literal photo montage. Yes. yes. And, like, it feels weirdly redundant, as if, like, they couldn't pick which one. And so they just, like, just keep both in there. Yeah, I, I did notice that as – I did think of that as well. I, I started to think of the um the first one where it's the, um the like, the montage of, like, everything going great. You know, the, there's the montage I know. The thing that really made me think this was there's um there there's a bit in that montage where, uh, what, Jumba, like, creates, like, two little hovercrafts for Stitch and Lilo type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I – pretty sure that is like a part of the series so i was like oh is this kind of like you know their backdoor trailer for the series or something like that um but then yeah you're right then it turns into literal like just panning over photographs which which i didn't i once again i was like this is ridiculous i'm like it shows them building a snowman at a certain point and i'm like okay so they're not in hawaii anymore you know or or did jumbo make a snow machine in hawaii but i do have to say that the the literal photo montage does pay off very well i do like that the last photo we see is the burn family photo and they like put they like melded in or cropped in the stitch picture as well and i'm like okay that's a nice touch well that okay but real quick going to the family like what like the impetus for like where their lives are right now mm-hmm. and this is the thing is like lilo is what six yeah, seven so believe, eight believe years believe old six, yeah and how old is nani because i've heard anything from like nani's like 17 to like 24 yeah, I don't know either. My guess would be like, you know, I I would I just always kind of thought 18 because she's applying for like all these different types of jobs. Could be 17 well, as you, well, but you know. Or yes, it could be 16. Like that's yeah, the thing cuz yeah. like in that photograph of like them with the parents, Nani and Lilo do not look any younger than they do like during the events of the movie. Okay. Okay. So I've never underst- not understood not not the correct word, but just like the the relation like the time relation to all this. Sure. Yeah. Is is it that the parent like it's just that like the pay, I, I guess I can do research on child protective services and the timetable of all <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah. Because I would imagine the parents died and like Nani clearly is of adult age. Like she's an age like where she'd be seen as an adult. So she has to be at least 18 now mm-hmm. because if, if, um, if the parents died, like Lilo would have been taken away if, if – uh, oh my god. What's her name? Nani was underage. 
So she must have been 18 at the time the parents were killed. Sure, sure. To, yeah, to get so custody that's type I, of thing, yeah. Yeah, so, like, it has to be the parents have been dead for, what, less than a year? It definitely seems that way. You're right about the age in the picture, and it also seems that, you know, if if time had gone on longer, I think that Nani would be better with the housekeeping stuff, because we get the whole—in the first social worker scene, like, the house is a mess, something's still on the stove, it's burning, you know, there, there seems to be, like, this dynamic of, like, they don't—neither Lilo or Nani really understand how to handle themselves, and I feel like if it was any longer, you, you would at least be like, you know, okay, you know, clearly, like, they would have got a handle on some things. I, I do kind of think also that, like, there is some implication to me that uh, Cobra Bubbles being their social worker— because the first time they meet is the, the first scene with him. Maybe they had a previous social worker and, you know, they because then they had to call the one, you know, the, the closer social worker, you know, type of thing. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it was very long, but I don't think it was, like, very recent either. So, yeah, within a year makes sense, I think. Yeah, because it's really, like, you would, like, again, it goes back to the also typical Disney thing where we, we you would think the idea of the parents dying would be, like, the opening act. Yeah, that's a good point. Yep, yep. Like, you would sit there, see something, something like the road, and – because it's a car accident, right? Yeah, it's a car accident in a rainstorm, I'm pretty sure. Because that's where, obviously, the, the, the fish comes in that yeah, can control the weather. Yeah, controls the weather, yep, yep. So, I, again, I guess there's there's a lot of restraint in this movie. Like, yeah, a yeah. shocking amount of restraint that – because even, again, going back to, like, animation stuff, I heard that John Lasseter did not like Chris Sanders, who directed this. Okay, okay. And yeah, John Lasseter – not Chris not, Sanders goes to DreamWorks after yep, this, yep. right? Because yeah. I've heard that – yeah, because Lasseter obviously, from what we've heard, had a boys club, and you were either in the clique or you weren't, mm -hmm. and pretty much heard that he kind of chased Chris Sanders out of the studio – um, yeah, to the point yeah. where, like, it was the idea that, like, think about it, because this movie comes out in summer 2002, but the focus was on Treasure Planet. Yes. That was going to be the movie that was going to just kind of, like, be, like, the barn burner, and as we'll discuss at some point on Cinemodies, like, that that was, oh, God, that's the film that destroyed hand-drawn animation. <laughs> Not Home on the Range. It was Treasure Planet. Um, yeah, it, it's one of those things where, like, I, I again, I don't, and even the animated TV show and directed video, I've never been able to get a concrete timetable on those. Okay. And that, like, was that always going to happen? Or did this movie make a bunch of money and they rushed all that into production? Yeah, I don't know either. I just know that, um, because what, Chris Sanders leaves, goes to DreamWorks. He's, he made How to Train Your Dragon, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then I think the, it's the other guy, what, Blah, Blas, Blasio, Blaze, Blaze, something like that. I didn't write it down. I think he goes on to make The Croods. Oh, that might have been saying. I don't remember. The Croods is a terrible movie. That shouldn't exist ever. Has um, Nicolas Cage is a caveman, Rob? That's uh, a horrible movie. Emma Stone is also a voice in that. I know that. Oh, dear. Um, that, that movie, I, I have seen that movie, Zach. And uh, I watched it with Ben back in the day. And I've told the story with Ben, so I won't reiterate it here. But uh, it, it, that movie ends. There's something that happens at the end of that movie where I stood up from the couch and was screaming at the television. It is one of the worst things to happen in a movie. But we'll never talk about that again. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I mean, um, also Chris Sanders and um, and, and the other director, uh, they wrote Mulan. Um, I'm pretty sure. And um, Nani has a Mulan poster in her room at a certain point. Yep. Which is there's, a, there's Mulan watch. Yeah. Yep. I think there's a, I saw a Dumbo stuffed animal in Lilo's room at a certain point. Um, so, yeah, there's all those Disney nods. And, of course, the fucking IMDb trivia page is filled with hidden Mickey thing. And I'm like, who gives a shit, you know? Um, stuff like that. But, yeah, overall, I think it's a good movie. I uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm glad I got to rewatch it. 
Um, I love love Devay Chase. Love hearing uh, Chihiro, even though the Chihiro voice performance is uh, much better. This is also a great voice performance. Um, it's a good movie. I was tempted to watch the sequel because I'm pretty sure I saw it, but I remember nothing of it. But I didn't. Maybe I'll go back if I have the time. And I'll just check it out, type of thing. Um, well, real, real quick about yeah. the sequels. Um, oh god, they follow a very weird continuity because. Um. Oh God. Whatever. Whatever the second one's called, it, it doesn't. It, it's basically the pilot of the TV show. Yeah. Yeah. Then, then they have the TV show. Then there is Lilo and Stitch Two, which completely ignores the TV show. <laughs> okay. Then you have Leroy and Stitch, which is like the Avengers Endgame of the Stitch universe, where like it's Stitch and all of his cousins' like experiments versus like the bad one whose name is Leroy. Okay. Okay. Damn it, Leroy. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's why you said, like, like, when you first were beginning this episode, you're like, oh, this week we're talking about Lilo and Stitch. And I'm like, not to be confused with Leroy and Stitch, which would come out in 2006. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, so. Anything but else about Lilo and Stitch? Are you ready for our questions? Oh, I'm, I am ready for snacks, Rob. Because this is, I have to say, this is a pretty snack-heavy film. Like, I do, there's, I do there's have some around here. Yeah, I do have some snacks. Uh, before we get to snacks, um, cinema is in late night. Cinema, I think. I think as as it, as it pains me as much to say, actually, it kind of pains me. It maybe like twinges me. I'm gonna have to go no to both. I mean, Cinemodities, it's it's a good movie. It's a fun movie. It has a lot more restraint, like we talked about. It has a lot of, of different, unique things than a lot of the other formulaic Disney animated movies. But at the end of the day, I do think it still is Disney nonsense. Good Disney nonsense, but Disney nonsense nonetheless. So no to Cinemodities and Late Night. I, it's one of those things where. I have to say no because why would it be? You know, it's a, like a good movie just doesn't make it a late night movie. I don't know if um, yeah, sure you'd laugh at stuff. I don't think you're going to get a lot of great conversation though. Um, I think also that you'd be hard pressed to find somebody, at least in the age group that I'm hanging out with, who hasn't seen it or anything like that. So I'm going to go no to both. What do you think? I okay. I'm going to say no to cinemati, both an asterisk. The okay. asterisk saying. This is should be the template for every Disney movie, mm. yet inexplicably they continue to ignore it. <laughs> okay. Um, and then for late night, I'm going to say yes. Okay. Because like I, I like the weird angle the internet keeps projecting of this being the underrated gem. I think everybody has seen this movie, but I think most people have not watched this in at least a decade plus. Definitely, I would agree with that. And I think if you're getting somebody who has not seen this in over ten years, I think it's a fun rewatch. Because like I, again, I watch this movie probably once every five. Five years. Um, okay. I have the DVD that I got in 2002. I re- obviously I rewatched it on uh, Disney Plus because I wanted this. I've never seen it before in HD, and so I'm like, okay. And I watched it with Rachel, um, who still hasn't seen the unrated cut of Candyman. We're still waiting on that. Okay, um, okay. Nine months later, <laughs> and and like she she had seen the movie, of course, but like she forgot just how irreverent it was. Yeah. Like yeah. again, like the co- like throwing the book at Cobra Bubbles, like all of this stuff, like it's just like even um, watching him like with the snow cone on his tongue the 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 throwing the postcards at the dog that's like sniffing him yep. like there's some really fun like again if you go into this movie like forget about it it's a disney movie it's big oh stitch is a little asshole for like nine tenths of it mm-hmm. it's a fun movie Absolutely. like it's if you a if you've never seen it and b if you i think even it's more potent if you've seen it and forgotten most of it i think it's a more potent rewatch um yeah definitely late night movie okay like 100 percent the cinema like i said it, it's no, it's something really peculiar. It's almost like it's it's a weird inverse of the Total Recall precedent in that like it's like almost so good it's mind-boggling how it has not been copied. 
No, I'm I'm totally with you. I I understand what you're saying. I think another thing for late night is it, it you're gonna watch it and people are gonna know this movie and they're someone's gonna make a comment and they're gonna be like, "Damn, Nani's ass is fat." And does this movie deserve that? No, it does not deserve that, Zach. <laughs> I'm just like there are a lot of thick characters in this movie, not just the ladies. There are a lot of oh, thick yes, characters. Yes, absolutely. Aren't they beautiful? With that being said, snacks. Let me throw this one out because I, I of course, I think you know. Ever since our four-year extravaganza, when we listed off the uh, defenses of the restaurant, I wanted to pick one to add on to it. I think that we should have those guns that can lock onto living creatures' genetic oh, signature as defenses oh. for the restaurant. I think you should also have the little containment carrier. Like, I love that, too. Oh, like, sure, you have, like, little... sure. Oh, yeah, those guns are great. Like, like a DNA signature, we could, like, take... I would imagine we take blood samples as part of our uh, our employment contract with our employees. Oh, so not only perfect. as employment contract, but also as, as a condition to enter the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Because I'm assuming if, if we, you know, now, what, these guns were made back in 2002, or these guns existed back in 2002, 20 years after that? Like, they got to be more advanced. We probably don't need, like, a, a blood sample. We can probably just get, like, a saliva sample or something or maybe a hair sample and, you or know. pheromones or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and if a customer comes in and we know they're going to be a problem, you know, if we uh, if we profile our customers in the way that we do and we know they're going to be problematic, just right off, you know, get, them, get those guns locked onto them. <laughs> I do say I do want the guns to shoot, like, like – Oh God! Like colored plasma. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. The the laser balls type of thing. Yep, absolutely. That Stitch can catch apparently from when <laughs> Jumbo shoots him in the later on in the movie. <laughs> so I definitely wanted that for a defense. Okay, what else you got, Zach? Okay, I one thing it, it, it's less is more. Um, but I want a fire breather. We didn't talk about the character of David Ooh, at all in sure, this, sure. but we should have a fire breather. Like, and, and like they smell like they smell like a barbecue. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that would be fun entertainment, a fire breather, and I definitely think Especially that, in an indoor space. Yeah, and especially um, you know, if when when our fire breather is performing, we set up, you know, some like straw roof above him that he can burn down as part of his performance. <laughs> I think that fits the motif excellently. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, why doesn't um, David get fired? Because Nani says to him after he like catches the stage and the and the this uh roof on fire and he like t- David comes and talks to Nani, he's all burnt up or you know um, d- uh, ashed up or whatever. Nani says, "Like, did you light yourself on fire again?" And it's like, wh- wh- why hasn't he been fired from this place if he's apparently like causing actual property damage? I know, right? Fire near customers is no bueno. <laughs> yeah. You know, the cinematis, like, like we, we we kind of acknowledge it though, but man, that's a big no no. Um, yeah, Nani I, brings was... a dog to the to the restaurant that attacks an alien, and she gets fired for it. <laughs> and how do they even know that like it's her dog? Like, that's the right? thing. We're like. I'm with like, you. Like, right? I, I, it's, it's, a, it's, it's wrongful termination. She has a lawsuit on her hands. <laughs> exactly. Um, one thing I will say, this blatant food-wise, like, it comes to any, like, restaurant, really. I want, like, j- I, those, like, slices of cake. Because at one point, like, in oh, some yeah. of the, like, dialogue in this is very weird. Just how either the syntax, how they wrote it, how they edited it. It's like, Nia, she's like, like Nina, ugh, one more time. Nani. <laughs> I can't know why I can't say Nani. I really don't know why. I'm having a stroke. Um, like, Lilo, you didn't even eat your sweet potato. And it's like, I think Stitch needs desserts. She's like, she's like, Lilo, desserts. And it's just like, it's, it's this weird, yes. like, who, like, nobody talks that way. Like, even kids don't talk that way. And I'm just like, I like it. It's so, like, mentally jarring. Yeah. So she brings the slices of cake over and, like, they're, like, 
oh god it's like the like what pizza looked like in like 90s cartoons where it's like all gooey and cheesy <laughs> yeah. like it looked it, it's disgusting but for some reason it looks appetizing to a kid i want the cake i want and we're just gonna call it desserts and it's two oversized pieces of cake but to give it the twist of cinematis, it has to be after like stitches swa- shoot it and swallow it. Sure. But then it comes back as one piece. Okay, okay. I like that. I like that. And and I'm I'm assuming that when it gets delivered to the table, the waiter will also like like cough up the cherry to put on top oh, of absolutely. the cake. Okay. Absolutely. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> oh, that that's that's a good one. I I have an I have a cake thing as well, but it's a different it's not from that cake scene. It's during the ending montage we see Stitch baking oh, yeah. cake for Lilo's birthday, and the cake, the actual like cake, like before it's frosted, he, Stitch takes it out of the oven, and it is a cake made to fill the entirety of the <laughs> oven. That idea is so fun to me that we should be making that in our restaurant because that clearly would just fuck up the oven, you know? Like, <laughs> like I don't think like one, it would burn a lot of the the cake. It would probably wouldn't be able to cook properly because. Whether it's electric or gas, like if it's gas, like if if your oven's not set up right, the batter, or the giant cake thing will like put out the flame. If it's electric, like I don't, it'll just smother the coil or whatever. But I love that idea. So we should have like a giant cube cake that is just made from the entirety of an oven. <laughs> I like that. Like that's that's one of the very few cartoon cartoony aspects yeah. of this. Or like if like you think like that's in so many movies that you have gags with food yes. where they're unrealistic and that's just perfect. Like it's the entire like, again. I, I'm kind of disappointed I didn't go with this, but like it's legit like just a giant cube cake. Yeah, yeah. And I love when Stitch pulls it out. You know he struggles. It is it's very cartoonish and it's 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 also unrealistic. But when he pulls it out, he like struggles to pull it out. When he does, you can see that like the sides of the cake have like the indentations of like the where like the racks would go in the oven. You know those little holders. Oh god, it's. Very well animated. It's a very fun idea. How could we not incorporate that into the restaurant? <laughs> exactly. Um, I also had, because I'm. it's one of my favorite moments in the movie, the uh, my friends need to be punished scene. <laughs> I think that uh, for the utensils in our restaurant, we should pickle them. I know that we can't, mm. you can't technically pickle. Like, I'm sure if you put a fork in brine and, you know, did the pickling process nothing would happen maybe it, if you did it long enough maybe it would rust or something i don't know well i think you'd have to take it out for it to rust but i think that we should make sure whenever like a, a group of people or you know somebody comes to the restaurant they sit down their forks and knives are wet because they were just they just came out of brine if that makes sense it's like you know how you go to like a like a like a salon or you go to get your hair cut and they they keep like the scissors and the combs in that um sanitizing liquid like that blue liquid and they just kind of take it out and tap it off and then you're they're good to go that but with forks and spoons <laughs> mm, okay well i have I, okay so going off that i have another question when it comes this is more like a question about like how would it work sure um like going back to that sequence at the restaurant where um clearly nani is feeding lilo and stitch like just food from the restaurant yeah yeah are we assuming she's not paying for that i uh i'm mm, maybe i mean also i could imagine that you know it's something like oh it's coming out of her paycheck or she has to pay for it but you know they don't mention it or anything so but that's that's my question though. This and this goes beyond like the movie logic and real sure, world logic. Sure. Like I know, like if you, like, I've never worked at a restaurant before, but I do know sometimes they let you like obviously you get like, maybe like one meal comp a day. Oh, sure, like, sure. But it's like, how do you like? So let's say you have friends come in. 
Like, how do you do inventory check on, like, prepared foods? Mm. Like, at the end of the day, does, like, management go through, like, all the receipts and be like, okay, we had, like, 16 chicken marsalas, but <laughs> but there are 17 missing. Yeah, that's a good like, point. Like, I don't know either. How does that work? Like, I know a lot of restaurants now, like, they have, like, what, the POS system where, like, sure. oh, like, a little receipt, like, prints out, like, in the kitchen. Um so it's like I guess the same principle of like it's the idea like eventually like if you did inventory with like the store you would find out like where things went missing but like with a food item like obviously they're not buying it like oh we're buying only 18 chicken breast oh we're buying this like obviously these are ingredients and it kind of boils down to like where obviously there's a certain portion but like a quantitative portion for every like dish that is yeah. prepared and served but i just wonder like i wonder like if that was the reason why nani was also annoyed with, like being fired from the restaurant like that was probably was like free food for like the family <laughs> yeah could be could be yeah i really don't know um any restaurateurs out there in the cinema audience uh yeah send it, us it, an email. I, I know i know this is very ignorant of us like of us asking this you know we've been purveyors of a restaurant now for four plus years yes and we should know these sort of things but in the infinite void inventory costs really aren't a concern plus we had everybody on such like lockdown exactly we never had to encounter these problems so we just want to make sure for the sake of the restaurant going forward yeah piggybacking off of that i do think you know that brings up a good point uh, we we don't know that answer because we're the owners you know and and we we handle like the um the the more high level business aspects of the of the job like you know um doing this podcast and discussing movies but we have managers <laughs> to handle things like you know uh, quantifiable loss and and you know things like that the day-to-day -day actual restaurant stuff speaking of managers i don't know if we have any managers that are currently vampires but we should hire some because in this movie, perfect when um lilo's like you know did you get fired and he's like it's okay you know he was a he was a vampire and lilo goes i knew it we should have some vampire managers <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think. Well, like, okay, because there are. I'm trying to think of other food items from this. Because like, there is a point where like, they have pizza. Yes. Like, yes. whereas I remember even as a kid being like, why can they buy pizza but they can't like buy regular food? Like, it's idea. <laughs> like, I get it. Like, they're like on like, oh god, uh, Skid Row, but like, whatever. But then the other thing too is that, like, I'm really curious. What was was it Lilo or was it Nani preparing on the stove that was like bubbling over when Cobra Ooh, Bubble shows up? That's a good, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would assume it was, it would be Nani because I'm, a, because the whole timeline of that is that what Lilo goes to the dance practice and then she straight up mauls Myrtle, um, punches her in the face, <laughs> bites her very, very visceral reaction, you know, to being called crazy. Um, and then what the teacher says, like, I called Nani, and she's going to come pick you up. Stay here until she comes pick you up. And then they basically, like, Lilo leaves the dance place. Nani leaves the house. They don't cross paths until later. My assumption was that, like, Nani was at home cooking something. Lilo leaves to go pick up Lilo, comes back, goes through the whole ordeal that we see in the movie before the social worker shows up, forgets what's on the stove. So my, my guess is Nani because of that timeline. I can't imagine that, like, Lilo came home and, like, right before she mopes on the floor listening to Elvis, she threw something on the stove, you know? <laughs> well, this is, again, this goes back to, like, the logic of the movie. Yeah. Is that, like, clearly Lilo has agency yeah, to, yeah. like, go to the beach or go to the store, buy peanut butter and jelly, like, mm. like make this thing for Pudge, go to the beach, then go to dance class by herself – but because she causes a commotion at the school, she now has to wait, even though the other girls have agency to, like, like roam around the town as they please. Sure, sure. It's like if Nani knew the the social worker is coming, why didn't she just be like, oh, go – I get it. It's a movie, whatever. Sure, but it's yeah. like why is it just like, like Lilo, like Nani wants you to go home? 
Yeah, that's a good point. Outside the fact that here. the characters yeah. read the script. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, that's a good point. I, I understand what you're saying. Zero sure. out of ten stars, unsubscribe. <laughs> Truly uh, a bad movie. Unwatchable. <laughs> Unwatchable. <laughs> no plane hijacking. Unwatchable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, Rob. Is this another one of those instances where we can insert the clip from the beginning of the Spider-Man uh, discussion where it's like, well, of course we have to talk about 9-11. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Oh, oh man, I I think those were I the I think that was everything I had for the restaurant. Anything else that you had? I don't think so. I guess the one last thing, because obviously we know what song we're gonna be playing in reverse. Yes, of course. Did we talk about when we talked? Did the Princess Diaries last year? There was an eighteen song in that. I'm that sure was only we, in the UK cut. I'm sure we did because we we also talked about the um the tie-in music video for remember the music video with the Princess Diaries like clips in it. I know we talked about oh, that yeah. in that episode. So I'm I have to go I'm back sure and listen to that. Because if, if I left any sort of 18s tie-in like on like on the table, like Rob, we might have to circle back to the princess. Remember, Rob, there's always a 2004 Fort Month with the Princess Diaries 2 Royal Engagement. So we can always circle back to sure, it. Sure, sure. I mean, you know, I, I, I if I remember correctly, I uh, I liked the Princess Diaries better than you did in that episode. So. <laughs> oh, dear. But yes, uh, 18s music – Probably the last time that the 18s were like a big thing in the U.S. Oh, sure, sure. Um, not. I thought you were going to say the last time that we get them in, in an episode to discuss, which of course. Is oh, not we'll true. I'll find a way. I'll find a way to work them back exactly. in. There's at least one other movie where there's an 18 song that plays during it. Oh, of and it would be. Of course. If, if uh, any, if anybody thought that when Zach was curating the 2002 Fort Month that he went to Google or IMDb or anything and typed in like summer 2002 movies, you are gravely wrong. He started from movies with 18s in them, sort by year. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's how we found Lilo and Stitch. <laughs> Damn straight. It all clicked. Like I said at the start, it all clicked when that song started. I didn't like right off the bat. Like I didn't know it was 18s when, but like when it started, I'm like, uh oh, I'm like, uh oh, this sounds like a Zach song, and it was, and it clearly was. I also like at the end of the Disney Plus version when they have like that, what it's like three minutes where they do all the credits in the yeah. different languages for all the yeah. different audio f- tracks they have that you just keep seeing things like it'll be like a bunch of like Chinese text and then. 18s <laughs> and then a bunch of <laughs> other Chinese text and then they have it for the Italian for the German oh, and I just kept watching it and you know it goes on forever but all right um with all that being said restaurateurs email us cinemas at gmail.com let us know how our restaurant should be working and if you um, maybe if you need a job and you're a vampire you can be a manager if you like what you hear and you want to hear even more and you want to pay for it. If you're like, man, I like this, but I, I'm not paying for it. There's always the Cinemodities Patreon. Patreon.com slash Cinemodities. Uh, check out the subreddit that gets sometimes updated when Rob remembers to do it. <laughs> Reddit.com slash r slash Cinemodities. I think then, Zach, I mean, I, do we know what's happening next week? It's a 2002 yeah. movie. Everybody guess. I don't, I don't remember the schedule it anymore. Depends. <laughs> it, it depends. It's going to be... It has to be probably Minority Report will okay. be next week. It's I can't Minority imagine Report we'll put... or Adventures of Pluto Nash. <laughs> oh jeez, oh jeez. Uh... One of those two, but it'll, uh, I think everybody of uh, the best thing we can say it's going to be a 2002 movie. I, I don't think we're going to be breaking form from that. Um, I was about to say anytime soon, but I think we are actually. <laughs> mm-hmm. We will be because we do a brief interruption for possibly another forty-year anniversary. That's not ET or Blade Runner. Yes. Oh boy. Oh boy. It's an anniversary of manslaughter. Manslaughter. 
let's do it. <laughs> well, I think that's a better way to end a good kids movie than any, a good kids movie discussion than any. <laughs>